Hi, this is Dale Lear, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. This is Coco Talk the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calore computer. It's time to drop your socks, grab your real-time clocks, and let's rock. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Welcome to Coco Talk, episode 239. Today is the Dragon Meetup 2021 from Cambridge, UK. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Uh, airmail airmail might be blocked hello everybody welcome to the show yeah and for those of you who are just catching the show at its regular time right now you'll have to go back and see a whole bunch of footage we got from the dragon meetup happening live in cambridge england uh at the uh, computer museum and uh it's going to be continuing tomorrow too we got to speak to some of the people there they had a trivia quiz i did horrible on it um it's a good time there's a lot of new stuff there there's a you know demonstrations of some of the new sprite hardware and stuff that we've talked about on the show before some stuff we had not seen before some uh older computers that are you know kind of related like 6809 based machines that i've never heard of before like so it's a pretty interesting time sorry go ahead ron like depositron yeah, Positron 9000, I think it was, yeah. to be specific. And right now, everyone's headed over to the pub, so later on, they might entertain us. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get live sing-alongs and stuff right from an English pub. That'll be awesome. Drunken sing-along. <laughs> Is there any other kind? I've been to the Cocoa Fest sing-along. It's pretty well the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's see. Intros. <sighs> Top left-hand corner, we have a news correspondent, L. Curtis Boyle. Let me try that again. <laughs> L. Curtis Boyle. <laughs> you have to excuse uh, him. He's, he's, he's new to English. I've um, pu- welcome, I've everyone, the to the show. Already. Yeah. You just say Ron from Arizona. You don't have to say the last name. Okay. Hey, Ron. <laughs> hey. <laughs> and next over, we have Ken Waters. Hello. And Sloopy Malibu. Greetings. And next over is me. Hi. Uh, next up, Marco. Our, our tongue-tied host, I'm going to call you. Hello, now. I'm here. We're trying to get trying to get in the groove here, having 10 minutes notice to do to go live. Well, it's been a while since you've um, broadcast. Do we need to retrain you? Well, everything worked amazingly, so we'll see. Uh, let's see, where were we? Jason Reichard. Howdy. All right, uh, next up, Patrick Euland. Rick, how you doing? I missed, I missed the whole dragon thing, man. 
Oh, well, it's, it's, <laughs> on, it's on Twitch anyway. Yeah, we streamed it to Twitch, <laughs> Facebook, and uh, YouTube, so you should be able to catch it later. Hey, and uh, next up uh, is Simon Jonasson. Hi, guys. Hi, Simon. And last but not least, uh, Nick Barentes. Uh, good day, everyone. And Nick, you didn't wake up at like what would it have been for you about uh, eleven o'clock at night to watch? Yeah, that's right. I, I was uh, throwing some serious Z's at that time. Wow, you said Z's instead of Z's. I'm impressed. Yeah, yeah, I did the American. <laughs> Is that why it looked upside down? He's been no, hanging standing, out with Americans. I'm standing long. on my head. That's a live translation yeah. thing that uh, Nick's working on. Yeah. Okay. Well. Um... I got to see most of it. It looked uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, I was going to ask the panel here. For this, uh, those of you that were watching either live stream or even on the Zoom call with a few of us, like in Iran, you were there. Uh, yep. Mark Bosley, you were there. I was there. Stevie was there. Uh, what, what did you guys think of uh, what, what you guys saw, including like that new uh, VGA output that's not a Cocoa VGA, but it does add a few extra things, but just sockets into the CPU socket, no soldering required. Pretty awesome. Hmm. Nice, clear picture. Yeah, and you can control the palette. You can control. They actually showed Chucky e. Egg playing with a completely different palette. So Stevie thought it was a Coco VJ. It's or since no, it's this it's new board. Was it an internal, an internal yep. board? It just plugs in the CPU socket. No soldering. You just unplug the CPU, plug it in this daughter board, plug the daughter board in the CPU, and then you got VGA output that has user selectable borders, user selectable palettes, but it's completely Could compatible with the 6847 stuff. So you can just play your old games. It's kind of like having part of a Coco three with the palette command stuff that you can control from basic. Could be a problem for anyone who's uh, got a normal two two um, mega memory board. On a dragon? Well, you need to put the um, MMU thing under the CPU. Don't no. you? No. You thinking Cobra Three? You thinking Dragon here? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Stop standing on your head, Nick. I think it's affecting the blood flow. When we, talk, yeah, yeah. when we talk dragon, we're talking Coco too, basically, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was cool seeing some of that stuff. And then, as, as Ron had mentioned, there was a bunch of these other ones. They had a Fujitsu FM8, which is a dual six eight zero nine machine that pre uh, came before the Fujitsu FM77, which is a dual six eight zero nine I'm familiar with. So I didn't know they had an older one. It had like old yellow keys. It looked like a seventies, late seventies machine. Looked pretty cool. They had uh, the Positron 9000, which is a 6809, 2 megahertz. It almost looks like a gimmick. It's like it's an industrial grade machine and had like a huge motherboard, MMU, you know, tons of RAM. You could add in tons of serial ports. It was meant to run terminals for the most part, uh, but very large machine. Oh, and then there's some other uh, 6802 based machines and stuff there too. So, Yeah, that machine had what? OS 9 and ROM, didn't it? Yeah, OS 9 level 2 and ROM, yeah. That'll boot quick. And you could alternately tell it to with a dip switch or something on the side or something like that. You could tell it to boot off of an actual floppy drive instead if you wanted to boot something else. And I then uh, Stuart Orchard also showed off. He's uh, doing a new version of Flex right off the original TSC version of Flex. Uh, so not based on the Frank Hogg one or the Spectral Associates version we saw, but an actual raw conversion of the original 1979 Flex, which actually predates the color computer itself, never mind the Dragon. I was surprised that uh, we couldn't interview uh, Mr. Cuthbert. Did I guess it didn't show or I think he was busy with all of his fans, you know, signing autographs. He was probably charging five bucks a crack. Yeah. Questing. 
He was uh, very popular. Five pounds? Oh, you mean the oh. price for the signature? Yeah. I don't know. If they were selling pocket money software and some of the other software, like during the, the game trivia thing where they're selling software for, you know, a pound 99, it's probably got to be cheaper than that, right? Did you see a whole tray of cassettes, I guess? The guy was selling seconds? That yeah. That would have been cool. Yeah. You know, there's a few people. Um, Chris Bocher, unfortunately, wasn't able to make it down there, but he's the head of the uh, microdeal uh, group on Facebook there. He's got a ton. He showed it to us when he was on our Dragon Special 1. And uh, and then, uh, was it Simon that was actually selling the other ones there? Where he's got so many you know, seconds and duplicates that he's selling some off to spread the love a little bit for the original sets. He actually had some Dragon user magazines for sale there too, it looked like. So yeah, it was pretty interesting. A lot of, a lot of cool stuff there. So definitely go review that that uh, stream, you know, after we're done watching Coco Talk today, which is a little bit shorter. We're hoping that they'll be by again, you know, from the pub there to kind of, you know, give us another bit of a rundown. They're also uh, running the show tomorrow, so we'll see if we can arrange streaming there too, and maybe we can get a bit more interactivity with some of the guests and stuff, you know, ask them some direct questions. Because there's some pretty interesting people there. Like, all three of the active Dragon game developers, Stuart Orchard, um, uh, Kieran Anscombe, and Steve Bamford are all there. I mean, they're all the ones kind of writing the new games right now for the Dragon. So it was really interesting to see, you know, three developers. And we saw Stu and uh, Kieran talking quite a bit. So I don't know if they're talking about a new game they might be working on or something. Who knows? Simon, I was going to ask you, did, did you manage to catch most of the stream or did you only catch the tail end of it? I only caught the last part of it, Curtis. Oh, okay. I was hoping to get your feedback because, I mean, you were in the UK when the Dragon was out, right? Yeah, but I never had one. But did you have any friends with it at that time, or did you get into it a little bit later? Uh, well, I got my Coco 2 back in, like, 1984, 1985. Um, I used to go to the library, and because you could actually borrow, like, cassettes from the library to load into your machines, you could actually borrow cassettes from a public library. And I used to try and get Dragon Software to run on the Coco, and it's like, well, yeah, I know this machine's compatible, but... They are, but they're not. Yeah, the keyboard is definitely different. That's why I had to exactly. catch that 3D Space Wars uh, for the gameplay. This exactly. Time. Now, um, they didn't make a cassette interface or a cassette specifically for Dragon, did they? I wonder, you know, like, uh, what was the most popular? You mean like a Dragon cassette? Data branded cassette? Yeah. Thing? I think they did. Though it did. I think it also advertised it didn't need that. It would work with, you know, standard cassettes. If I, I wonder remember what correctly. the most popular one was, like, uh, you know, like a Sony or Panasonic or that Philips. Yeah. It's kind of like the monitor thing we were talking about during the, yeah. the Dragon stream there too, because I'm not sure. Like they didn't sell their own Dragon branded monitor, and they had composite out and RF out, so you could hook it up either way. But they didn't actually sell one themselves. Though I think they usually somebody was mentioning they used a specific model that they used in all their you know photo shoots and stuff for the Dragon when they're advertising. Was that the Sony Trinitrons? Yeah. Yeah, it was mentioned in the chat. Somebody actually mentioned the specific model. I don't remember the exact one. I'd have to scroll back up. But, but it's basically a different kind of manufacturer. Radio Shack was, yeah, we'll have 10,000 SKUs around this computer, and Dragon was, here's your computer. <laughs> We're putting our money into that. And that one 6802 base machine was kind of a bit of a surprise because 6802 is like a, a direct cousin of the 6803 and the MC10. 
but that machine that they showed it on actually, you know, had like a sprite chip and some other stuff in it. So a different graphics chip entirely wasn't VDG based. That was kind of an interesting one I'd never seen before. There's a quite a bit of interesting stuff in there. So, but I'm, I'm glad like some of you got to join us. It was kind of like uh, you know last minute that we actually got everything officially finally ironed out between Stevie and uh, Richard Harding. A big thanks to Richard for helping arrange getting the, the live feeds and stuff like that. But I think the final details that weren't even ironed out until Thursday or Friday, maybe at that matter. So it was uh, kind of last minute we were trying to get them in place. I would have tried to help a bit more like I normally do with these specials, but I got super busy with work, so I wasn't able to help much at all. So my apologies to Stevie for kind of dropping the ball in his lap. He came through. Okay. And I do hope uh, to eventually get out to one of those shows myself. That'd be awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it looks like we're getting going into more lockdowns. Yeah, well, that new was Omicron or whatever they're calling the new right South African variant. How many here on the panel has a uh, dragon? I have one. Anybody else? Two. I have a Tano dragon. Yeah, I did have right. one. I did have one, but I sold it to Fido. I sold it to Fido's demon, or I swapped it with Fido's demon for a Coco three. Nice. That's not Great. a bad upgrade. All right. All right. Good. All right. We're ready to do, uh, uh, jump into game on, or yeah, we sure. can do the game on results and. Um... And then uh, Sloopy can talk about the live play stuff and you know tips and tricks, et cetera. So yeah, I think that's a good idea. Okay, let me find the right button here. High score challenge. All right, you've been flagged. You need to be retrained. Welcome, everyone, to the results of this week's Game On Challenge, where we played 3D Space Wars. There were a total of 16 participants, so let's see how everybody did. We had Ron Delvo with 10. Coco Discord user, 230. Mikey, 280. Marco, 300. And sharing 12th spot was Tasman Scott Cooper, also with 300. Brett with 400, Exile in Paradise, 660, Jim Rye, 1,030, Canadian Retro Things, 1,380, Buck Owens, 1,520, Rich N, 1,740, Mr. Dave, 6,309, 3,270, Malik, 256, 6,800, Sloopy Malibu, 7,970, Brian Walsh, 8,230, and the number one score this week is Eric Omont with 14,620. Good job. Thanks, everybody that played, and we will see you next week. Okay. All right, so those are the results, and um, this was a originally a dragon game. So... Um, Let's see here. And hopefully the people that were trying to participate actually did catch that I, I quickly uploaded a hacked version to switch the keys over to the Coco style keys. <laughs> or you just keep hitting keys till something happened. Luckily, and... the arrow keys worked either way. 
So this is uh, the cassette sleeve, a picture of it. And um, as you can see, much better graphics on the outside of the uh, program than the uh, Coco usually had. So it was... Uh, there, I finally got out of the way. So that's... So probably no one loaded this thing by cassette. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I yeah. wonder well, how this game was never sold be. in North America in cassette or disc format, for that matter. So, and then we had. You mean we're a... playing the Dragon version? Yeah, it was a, the Dragon version was on the uh, archives. So, yeah, I, remind me afterwards, Ken. Here, I got to upload the Coco Hack version. I, I was hoping some people would give me some feedback because I wasn't sure if I caught all the keys to get them remapped properly. So, okay, if it I... looks like it's working. Okay, I'll get it uploaded to the archive. I personally did just uh, play the dragon version and just kept hitting keys till something happened. <laughs> so uh, there was a few reviews of it. Um, this particular one said that it was boring, a boring game that's been done a thousand times. And uh, so not very favorable. I said he got bored at it, on it after about 120 points. And then this one uh, was a little bit it more... It say it was well-written, though. Yeah. But this one was much more favorable. Um, it was a well, well-made uh, space shooter. Um, a worthwhile romp through the universe for those with time to kill. So, yeah. And there's something interesting about the word Psydabs, right? Yeah, and Psydabs is baddies spelled backwards so your your bad guys were the baddies yeah i had a good 3d perspective um the shots the sound like they said is, is not too bad it's actually got some you know running background sound um i like the fact that each wave the baddies look totally different you can see almost like a cylon viper ship in some and you know there's definitely some recognizable hints at some tv shows and stuff from around the time but uh, that actually changed every round too like that was something that was nice the nicest it wasn't just shoot aliens keep shooting aliens all looking the same and here's a little uh some footage from mikey i will i will mention one thing the original version for the dragon of course because the dragon was running pal they did not have artifact colors yeah so this is meant to be a black and white game so if you have a coco 3 and you played an rgb monitor like a cm8 you'd see it the way the dragon people saw it but I found it odd that the fuel gauge, they use vertical striped lines, which turns out to be a perfect solid color when you're playing artifacts with the fuel part. It actually worked out okay. And it would flip to another color if you were out of sync. Yeah, the phase thing, the reset button. Also, I don't know if any of you noticed there, but if you look upside down on the very top, it says danger. Yeah. On the board. Oh, well, I missed that. So, yeah, playing it with the artifact colors was fine until he got to the end screen, which was pretty hideous. The <laughs> white and pink. <laughs> that is very true. But uh, for tips and tricks on this game, um, well, the only thing I really noticed was that uh, when you're refueling, the bad guys don't shoot at you. But if too many bad guys swarm around you, then your refueling ship will leave. And then you won't be able to use it at all for the rest of the uh, level. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to play it, unfortunately. I had a chance to patch it. And I thought I was going to have the week off, so I had no, you know, lots of time to play it. And then all of a sudden, work got busy again, so that didn't happen. 
And I do like some of the effects too, like the the shooting is standard, you know, 3D shooting at angles type thing. But when you get hit, your shields kind of electrify. That that's mm-hmm. a pretty cool effect. So all in all, I'd say a fun and well made game. Yeah, nice graphics, nice detail. Um, Interesting rent- fonts. Yeah, uh, it ran on 32K, so I mean, it, it didn't require Dragon 64 or 64K Coco. So, what did uh, did anybody else have any tips or tricks on this game? Well, it didn't seem to be real responsive when you're trying to swing around and get one of those guys. <laughs> well, it's uh, I think it's like uh, Stellar Lifeline. It's got momentum, so when you're moving in one direction, it takes you a little bit to reverse direction. You keep going yeah. in the direction you're going. So it does have a momentum. Uh, More like real physics. Aspects yeah. to it, yeah. yeah. You can't turn on a dime. Yeah. yeah, I noticed that there was a lot of um, its responsiveness. I mean, it's like like what he said. And yeah, there is momentum. But when I would hit the, uh, the, con- uh, the control to like go left when I'm following them, sometimes it would go even more when I would hit and repeat the key using the keyboard uh, joystick emulation. And eventually I actually started using, I actually tried using a joystick, which yeah, being the Atari guy, I had to use an Atari joystick. (laughs) And uh, these things are really nice. Works well in X-War if you wanna try them. It's the, uh, the Stell adapter. So the, the game favorite switch style but, joysticks that didn't require analog. But yeah, it's when I was using the joystick, I didn't have the problems of having to rehit the uh, directional when I was using the uh, joystick, um, as opposed to using the keyboard emulation joystick. Okay. Do you try it with actual keyboard controls where it's set up to be a keyboard, or are you trying joystick no. controls with keyboard? Okay. No, I didn't. I couldn't figure out what they were, and then. I'm so used to the keyboard controls because usually on the Coco you have the um, the up down on the left and the right le- and the left right on the right, which is kind of confusing for my brain because I'd never really used this setup like that. I've always had control on the right hand and firing in the left, so okay. so it's something that was a little difficult for my mind to wrap my old mind to wrap around. And another oh, I question I had for everybody that played it too: If you have a Coco three, did any of you try it on double speed? Because I know it gets a little bit bogged down when you get, you know, heavy. And I was yes. wondering if anybody tried it full double, and what was their opinion of it? Um, made it a little bit harder when you're trying to aim in on them uh, when they're starting to come at you, trying to. <laughs> I kept overshooting, but other than that, it did respond quicker. Okay. Anybody else try it? Ken? Nope. I... When I tried it on the uh, on VCC, it wouldn't work for me. So. I wanted to try it with the, with the double speed poke because I figured it would help it because when you had a lot of the of the uh, Sabad dabs on the screen, it would really slow down quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So what would you do? Uh, poke it and then load the program and execute it? Yeah, that's what I did with VCC. Yeah, yeah. You just loaded that new poke 65497, <laughs> and then execute after that. I, mean, I did also, try playing it on a Coco 3, but it just uh, it, it would play for a while and then it would crash. Now, was that my patch version or the original version or both? Uh, that was the original one. I did not uh, get a chance to try the patched. Also, Simon, I mentioned that the top of the screen there, I don't know if we can show that again there, but apparently it says, it says danger man, not just danger. 
Let's see. Um, Danger, we'll try man. and do that. Take a screenshot, flip it upside down. Take a screenshot, flip it upside down, yep. turn it back to front. It says Danger Man. Oh, okay. Yep, it does. It does. So I guess that must be here. who you're playing. Hey, that's a second wave there. Yeah, this one's looked like the Vipers from the original Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, that or was my first thought. Or the transports from mm. uh, um, Star Wars. <clears throat> Like uh, episode six, and they're going to the constructed Death Star under construction Death Star. Yeah, I guess it could have been that too. But they definitely borrowed some inspiration from some famous TV and movie ships. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, I guess, um, Sloopy, how did the uh, playthrough go this week? Um, yeah, it went a little, uh, it went all right. Uh, let's see here. It was on the, a different day, so. Yeah, I had to do it on a different day. So let's see if it'll allow me to share my screen. Can you see that? Yeah. Yeah, we, um, we had, uh, up to three people playing at once. And, uh, obviously it was, uh. It was a little limited because of the holiday this weekend in the U.S., so hopefully we're uh, we're going to be able to get more people next week. But this was an excellent game. A lot of people played, and we actually had a few that were watching the show and playing um, out in the uh, audience. And I want to shout out to Greg Ferguson for playing, and hopefully next week he'll be able to join us. Um, this coming week we'll be doing the normal. Uh, Wednesday show and uh, I also want to put a question out there is because I know that um, I was told that there's these things called time zones all around the planet and that different places have different times which I'm not too sure about that because US East Coast is the most important one but um, I was thinking uh, having a, um, a, a, uh, a game on challenge live uh, special for uh, the people that are over in Europe, because normally when we when we uh, start the show, it's anywhere from 11 p.m. till 2 a.m. over there. So I was thinking about having a special um, that starts at a more reasonable hour for people over there so that they can actually join in and play. So I wanted to get some feedback from people on that and uh, okay, see how that so, goes. So here, right now, here in Denmark, yeah. which is Central European time, is... 1933. Okay. So 7.43, is it? 7.33, yeah. 7.33. In the UK, it would be 6.33. Yeah, because I know that our show starts at 1 a.m. for Frodo, because he's like, yeah, it's a little late for me. If you started earlier, I would probably play. So I was thinking about having a show that's somewhere around – it would probably be in about, um, I was thinking like uh, three or four in the afternoon here. So that would be about uh, two and a half hours, one and a half, two and a half hours from now. So um, so that the people over in, in the European area could uh, could play. Yeah, that would be, uh, be between like nine and 10 o'clock in the evening. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's somewhere between nine, nine and 11 for the various time zones over there. 
Now this yeah. this would be a second live stream for you then? Yes, it would be a. I would have a do a, um, like I was considering once a month doing this where I'd have a earlier a, in the uh, day. Yes, earlier in the day from like, um, uh, it would be like three p.m. Eastern Standard Time until say um, four. Or, I mean um, five or six p.m. Eastern Standard mm -hmm. Time, and then have the regular show from seven to to ten. So both on the same day then, or two different times yes, a week? Yes, both of them okay. on the same day. So and basically, so game on, play through the European edition. Right. And I was considering doing this. Called like a matinee. A month, so. Yeah, don't like need, a matinee. Don't we need oh. to catch those guys before they go to the pub, though? Why? No, because this way we get, we get to win all the high scores. So that's, that's yeah. fine. Just don't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, there's definitely but, a few European people you could uh, talk to about trying to push that, like Frodo. Yeah, well, I've already talked to Frodo about it. So okay. that's because that's because I had talked to him about actually being on the show, and he's like, "Well, the show starts at one one a.m. here, and it's like usually I'm <laughs> uh, I go to bed between uh, eleven and and twelve. So and he's usually wrapping up his own Saturday right. stream right about the time that we're. Yeah. Yep. So maybe I should just call it the BYOB party and have everyone come on the Saturday afternoon and I mean, uh, Wednesday afternoon and make it a big shindig. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I just wanted to make sure that I stated that and, and see how people feel about it. Cause I mean, obviously we've had, um, no, uh, European con, uh, European, uh, contestants on the show and we want to be as open and inclusive as we can. And I understand that uh, it's a weekday, so most people have to get up early the next day for work and such. No, that's a good point. It's a good idea, I think, too. The other possible options maybe have like a stream, like you know, Sunday at noon or something like that, if that worked out for you. But I don't know if it does. Yeah, well, I'm a jobless bum, so any time is good for me. <laughs> Way to sell yourself, Sloopy. Hey, I'm called like that's, I see it. That's why he's. Uh, I don't. I don't think Slippy could do Sundays at noon because I know where he is on Sundays at uh, noon my time anyway. Yeah. You're usually playing games with Frodo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on Frodo's channel. Was so, that that what a Matchbox Party game or whatever yeah. it's called? Uh, yeah. Jackbox, Jackbox Party. Jackbox. Yeah. Not yeah. that I've ever been there. <laughs> and today, today I don't work at all, no matter what. <laughs> no, I think it's a good idea, and if anybody in the European contingent can send them feedback, where where should they send feedback for you, Snoopy? Sloopy on that. Um, just to the regular Coco Talk uh, email address. Email. Okay. I don't know if you had access to that or not. So that it no, I well, I don't have direct access, but if something is sent to me through it, it gets forwarded. They can always spam me on Discord too. Yes, yes, you can skip spam me on Discord because I have no friends there, so not many people talk to me. <laughs> I could use more friends. So, Sloopy, in addition to this, because not everybody that has a dragon, heaven forbid, you watches Coco Talk. Maybe. Uh, I don't know if you're a member of the uh, Dragon Group on Facebook already or the World of Dragon Archive forums, but maybe join both of those two, and then you can actually advertise that you're going to be doing this. Then, yeah, I've, well. I've, uh, because of because of the timestamps, I had to to uh, join the the Dragon Group, and it was rather interesting because they're like, "What are your interest in Dragon?" And I'm like, "I do the timestamps for Coco Talk." <laughs> I was like, one, wondering if they're going to uh, accept that, so. Okay, and then the World of Dragon archive form. We actually we yeah. were talking to the guy that actually runs it, and uh, yeah, it did a whole form there that I'm an active participant in. Yeah, I've uh, I've actually read through it and read about the history on the uh, dragon and such. It's a very good, 
um, interesting read because I mean I'm um, yes I mean as as you know Atari is my primary um, focus but anything eight bit from back from back in that time period I'm interested in and um, I have read through the uh, the uh, the world of dragon with all the uh, information and and uh, such that they have on there and it's the history is quite extensive and very thorough and I rather enjoyed it and I would recommend to anyone even with a passing interest in the computers of that time period to read through it because it's a very good read. Yeah. So. But yes, um, this week we had the uh, we had the show. We had a few people playing, and as I've said, we've uh, I did notice that using the uh, controller as opposed to keyboard was much better. The other uh, big. Um, things that we learned was um the uh, refueling is only has so much and as you go up the levels it has less and less the other big uh hint and secret that uh we can impart is when you're going when you start a new level look at the radar and you'll see that they're all the the data the sabads are all in one spot and then you'll see one single um spot on the uh, radar that's not moving that is your refueling station and so if you need fuel immediately at the start of a of a uh, of a wave you can go straight to it and be able to easily find it the other thing is you want them to come from the top because as long as they're below the center crosshairs uh well as long as they're above the center crosshairs they can't hit you when you shoot once they go below no matter where they are they will hit you and those are the two big uh, uh, tricks that we used to uh, get get high scores. And uh, I won't mention the uh, similarities similarities between this and uh, and um, Star Raiders. We'll we'll let that one go by because <laughs> we covered it in the show completely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did notice that the view count on the live show is actually pretty good. You're at 49 views as of the screen you're showing here, which I think is actually higher than it has been, isn't it? Um, last week we had like 40 and 43 for the first and second half of the show because um, my internet went a little uh, flaky and it cut the show into two. But yeah, we've been uh, averaging uh, between 30 and 40 ever since the first episode and even the first episode we were at like 20 25 and now it looks like you're starting to push up towards 50 so it looks like it's taking off yeah absolutely that's why i'm trying to to uh, expand it to get more people involved so that we can get the word out there so we can have more people uh join us and and share in the fun and then the one other thing I would I would mention, maybe you can help push this, <clears throat> is the fact that the online X War emulator, after all the expansions Karen's done recently, you can now play Coco One, Coco Two, Coco Three, MC Ten, Dragon Thirty Two, Dragon Sixty Four games, all online. So if you don't have an emulator set up and you don't want to take the time to try to figure it out, yep. you can actually directly link to that and just play them right on there to join in. Yeah, because I actually helped um, uh, the gentleman I was talking about uh, earlier, Greg. I explain to him on the show how to get uh x4 working and as a matter of fact this here is actually x4 running and this is vcc 
Yeah, it's nice you're expanding it and trying to you know be more inclusive, especially the the dragon folk or anybody who's just in, in Europe or you know not in the North American, South American time zones to to join in. I think it's great. Yep. You might have to do an Australian special time too then. Uh, I don't have a a a a, a time machine to go to go forward in time to be able to do one for Australia. <laughs> I think your normal time right now is not too bad for us. What time does it start for you, Nick? Uh, it's usually on the um, the day after in the morning. It's a pretty good time. Yeah, it's the big thing is is that because it's during the weekday, the majority of the people, people that are, are working in, uh, that are in Australia are going to be working. So yeah, not, yeah, I mean, not everyone's a multimillionaire with you know fancy cars like Nick is. You know, he's kind of semi-retired now. Off I money just have to be right. careful. I'm not washing the Ferraris uh, at that time. That's all. What, uh, Nick? What time is it there now? Uh, right now it's uh, four forty-three a.m. A.m. Sunday. A. M. Sunday. It's four forty-three a.m. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so basically, if I just because I mean, fifteen I hours that, ahead, roughly. Yeah. So because I noticed that every episode, you're you're usually there. You usually come in towards the end of the episode. Um, which from what I understand is like, um, uh, so like around 11 o'clock in the evening for us is like 10 or 11 in the morning for you. Uh, yeah, that, that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. So in order for me to, to, to do something in the evening for you, I'd have to do it like at two o'clock in the morning or something. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. Four o'clock in the morning here. Uh, the only yeah. way I'm up at four o'clock in the morning is if I'm up that late, not that early. <laughs> <laughs> I was just wondering, like for the for the dragon folks, where you're kind of shifting it somewhat. What time would it be in Australia for that show? Would that be a bit more manageable for some people? Or? Uh, not really, because that would be about three hours from now. And if it's yeah, it's still AM, I guess in Australia. Yeah, yeah. The only way to get around that, I guess, would be to try to have something on a weekend occasionally or something. Yeah. So. All right, that's enough work today. I don't work today. Today, today's my um, adversary. So <laughs> I'll hand it hand it back to Ken. All right. So I guess everybody is just on pins and needles to see what next week's game is. So this one comes as a suggestion from Rasculus. And I don't, I'm not sure anybody will recognize this, but. Uh, I know what that Tongue is. Tongue beetles. No. <laughs> Tongue beetles. Oh, no, Megabug. <laughs> exactly. Um, Art, disc, or tape. So that's what we are playing next week. And as I said, that's a that suggestion familiar. from Rasculus. And I was actually surprised to see that we haven't played that game yet. Yeah, the Amigos, I think, have covered it on their show already, and they've only done 26 episodes, so <laughs> we're behind the curve on this one. And it is one that I actually own on cartridge. So <clears throat> Now we're playing regular level, not the advanced level, I presume? Yeah, regular level. Okay. This was actually the first game I ever played on a Coco. Because it was common to be used in a store as a demo. 
Yep. I, like I unfortunately played it on an Apple. Kind of stuff. Yeah. I played it on the Apple too. <laughs> All right, so Mega oh. Bug for next week. There we go. That's a Coco 1, 2, or 3. Um, I was ported the Dragon 2, I think, wasn't it officially? Uh, I that I don't know. And if you have the cartridge, it only needs 16K, I think. 16K, yeah. Yeah, and if it's on tapered disc, I think it might need 32. 32, I believe. And joystick or keyboard, right? You can use the other. I never tried it on keyboard. I always play with the good old Black Beauty. I always use keyboard. I'm, I'm a traditionalist. This is the first joystick I had for my... Uh, color computer and it's the one i still play with okay shall we uh take our uh first commercial break to uh do all of our public service announcements and then we can go into the news yep i'll start with the game on news just to kind of carry on the the torch there but there's not too too much of it so that shouldn't take too long okay you are watching Coco Talk, the world's leading weekly video podcast featuring a candy colored computer. We spread the love to the past, present, and future for all models, including the original colored computer, the Coco 3, and the world renowned exclusive French Radio Shack. At Coco Talk, we'd like to thank the patrons who sponsor our program. So our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Alan Huffman, Alan Murphy, Blair Ledoux, Bowden Aaron, Brendan Donahue, Brian Weasler, Karen Anscombe, D. Bruce Moore, Daniel Williams, Diego, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Vebke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Jason Downs, Ken Reichert, Kyle Etter, Malfunct, Michael Pitsley, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Paul Thayer, Rick Euland, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Stephen Wagner, Steve Batson, Steve Rasmussen, Terry Steen, Terry Steggy, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tom C., Tom S., Tom Heron, Tony C., and William Athick. Thank you ever so much, patrons. Hi, this is Eddie Zerbinski from beautiful Quebec City. As you're enjoying Coco Talk, we also want to remind you about the Coco Discord server. This is a place where people come to connect, to ask questions, to provide answers, to share information, and to socialize. So when you're done, why don't you head on over to the Coco Discord server and we'll continue the conversation there. The easy to remember link is discord.cocotalk.live. See you on Discord. Coco123 is the Glenside Color Computer Club community newsletter that's been in publication since 1985. While the Rainbow Magazine may be gone, it doesn't mean you still can't have a cool Coco periodical. Head on over to the Glenside Color Computer website at glensideccc.com and then click on the Documents link to view all the past issues of the Coco123 newsletter. Not only can you read all of the past and present issues, we'd also love to hear some submissions from you. So if you'd like to send an article, a column, uh, something to talk about, maybe even a program listing, send an email to glensideccc at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. 
The Coco World Map is a cool community resource where you can view coconuts from around the world. Head on over to map.cocotalk.live and see where your fellow coconutians happen to be living on the planet Earth. If you would like to submit yourself to be on the Coco Map, send an email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live and we look forward to seeing you on the Coco Map. Hey guys, it's Stevie Stroh, and if you've been watching Coco Talk for a while, hopefully you understand that everyone is welcome to join this show. You don't need an impressive resume to get on. You just need to enjoy the Coco and be willing to talk about it. There is no wrong way to Coco. There is no wrong way to be a fan of the Coco. There's no wrong way to be on Coco Talk. You just have to want to talk Coco. So if you would like to join us, then reach out to us on our Discord server, which is discord.cocotalk.live, or send an email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live, and let's get you on the show, and let's talk about the Coco. Hi, I'm Tim, and you're watching Coco Talk Live. And I'm playing Daggereth online like that idiot from the book. Uh, can you can you dial back on the condescension there as you respond there? It's time for everyone's favorite segment. Who's new to Discord this week? Hydra ADL. Hi all, I own a Tandy 102 portable computer, like the one I used to own back in the late 80s. I bought another earlier this year and what a nostalgia trip. Keith Clark 1966. I have been a Coco user since I was about 14 years old or so. My dad recognized my interest in computers and funded the purchase of my first Coco one. Butters. Hi, I am new to Coco's with my first entry being a Coco one, I think it was modded to 64k. I grew up on Apple IIs and the TI. Currently have Commodores and my first Amiga as well. Having fun making and installing the RGB to HDMI boards on everything, including the Coco. I have a lot of Coco questions. Malik256. Hi there. My name is Greg, nice to meet you all. I've got a few machines also. My friends and family tease and ask, when are you opening the museum? A late friend in my town did that, it was great. The previous bios were edited for time's sake. Thanks too. Melly. Boysontech. Paul Fiscarelli. Terry Stagy, and the Coca Talk patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. At discord.cocatalk.live. Okay, welcome everyone. Get screen share going if I can find the right one. I can see why Stevie got a much bigger stream deck. <laughs> okay, as you're seeing this, uh, Mikey, Mikey's uh, YouTube page. Yep. Oh, he's in the trains. Okay, so uh, Mikey actually, uh, I guess he's been doing this for a bit here. He's been actually doing some cocoa related stuff on his own page, which I didn't know about, and uh, for some reason wasn't showing up on the searches. So he's actually done a few game on linked ones. Now, he's actually using this to answer questions on Pi DriveWire, which is a product that he does, which is kind of a 
Python version of DriveWire since DriveWire 4 has kind of got some issues with having to use an older version of Java, et cetera. And uh, Ken uh, Waters there, I think you've, You've been aware of this because you used some of his videos this week, I saw. So Yeah, the video this week was from his uh, latest PyWire question answered in Game On video. Okay, so basically he's using um, your segment as kind of an excuse to play some games, I guess. He's not normally known as being a game player, but uh, he's been getting questions on PyDropper, like how to set it up and how to get it to work with you know, various operating systems, etc., so what he does is he takes a question for that he's received about how to use Pi DriveWire, and then he uses that to mount the current Coco Game On Challenge game disc, and then of course plays it for a little bit, which is kind of cool. And he's done some other ones too. You can see where the DW term and see terminal emulation tests there too. But uh, he's got two now: uh, Lunchtime and Clicks to While I Needed a few weeks back, which I totally missed at the time. And then he just did one on on 3D Space War. So I'm hoping that Mikey actually takes part in these regularly. Uh, from now on because yeah he's like i said he's not known as a game player he's, he's more of the developer side but it's nice seeing him getting into the, the spirit of the uh, game on challenge stuff he's actually played more games recently than i have so i i've definitely got to start playing a bit more myself now that works finally starting to die back down so i will be taking part in mega but not very good at it but anyway he's got a couple there and if you have just general questions on pi drivewire you can ask him on discord and if it's something that he figures is something that the public should be aware of like it's not a very specific question on somebody's specific circumstance but a more of a general question, he'll probably do a little video kind of explaining how to do it. And then, you know, tying the game to it while you're at it. So uh, definitely subscribe to his page. I didn't realize he even had one until he mentioned it in our Discord. So another reason to join our Discord as well. Uh, next up, we have a short little video from Paul Thayer. did an update on his Cocobon project, which he's actually sometimes demoed uh, coding for and testing on our Discord. That's a fairly short one, so I think I'll just play it right now, and you guys can get you know the word right from the horse's mouth here. Um, at first glance, it'll look kind of like Sokoban, but it's got so much more to it, and it is based, I think, on an Android game. You guys can kind of correct me if I'm wrong on that one. But uh, he's definitely making some progress here, so I'll let him speak. Hey there. Thought I'd show you a little progress here. This is my test level with like everything in it. We got animated portals and a clock going on. Uh, the next thing I want to implement is the logo up there sparkles. I'm thinking like every 30 to 60 seconds. Um, do that next and then from there it's uh, getting the dirty tile list updated and then each bringing in keyboard input and updating everything based on the players um, involvement with the environment and then once all the updates are done to run the update functions for each object and everything gets rendered um, and right now I'm not even hitting the first line of the <clears throat> I got the border being measured in color I don't have anything showing up yet <clears throat> so looking good so far I'm gonna have a minimal you know dirty tile list and only updating what needs to be updated so the biggest constraint probably is going to be 
the lasers. So get that figured out here. So that's up there. Well, hopefully you guys could hear that. I know he recorded the audio a little bit quiet here, so I, I don't know if how well it came across the stream there. Hopefully it was understandable. But yeah, it's it's a pretty big progress from when the last time I saw it. He's got these animated portals, he's got the timer running and stuff now. And he's doing a trick that a lot of game programmers have used, uh, including Nick, uh, where you change the border palette to figure out how much time you've got before the next you know, 60 hertz uh, sync interrupt happens. And it isn't even showing up on the screen yet. So he's using basically zero CPU time to do that little animation of the portal. So um, he's definitely got some you know time to figure out his laser paths and all that kind of stuff and maybe some background sound and stuff too. So it was good seeing some progress in there. Uh, next up, I will just play the little intro. This is uh, the official YouTube release of the Coco show from the Amigos here featuring Donut Dilemma by some, you know, Ferrari owning Australian guy. And I, I like Boat's little quote at the beginning, which is true, which I'll let Nick explain for those who don't know the story right after I play it. Donut Dilemma is based on a true story. It's the Coco show, episode 26. <laughs> So I won't play that because it's a it's a nice long show. You should go watch the video if you're interested in it. But uh, Nick, what is this uh, true story thing about with Donut Dilemma? Oh well, it's true. I do have Ferraris. Um, <laughs> is it, <laughs> is that the story? Uh, oh, the other story. Okay, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Donut Dilemma is based on a true story in that the idea for Donut Dilemma came from uh, the fact that way back in the eighties, the early eighties. We, uh, our family owned a donut, uh, a donut bar or kiosk or whatever it's, they're called in uh, the US in a uh, shopping mall. And uh, so we uh, had the donut bar kiosk and there was a machine that made the donuts. And quite often that machine would uh, screw up the, the, the donuts and uh, it would create all sorts of havoc just to clean it all up and restart it. So I'm looking at the thing and thinking, gee, that would make a really good game, you know? <laughs> so I came up with Donut Dilemma. And that was back in the days when I was programming on the Model 1. So the original version of uh, Donut Dilemma was on the TOS80 Model 1. But, yeah, it was all based on a true story. Now, if that was based on a true story, how angry was Angelo, really? I oh, was pretty pissed. Um, <laughs> was Angelo actually a worker at the donut shop or just a guy you hated, so you decided to make him the villain? Or no, it's my dad. I, uh, well, it's meant to be my dad because he ran the shop, but uh, I thought, oh, Angelo, you know, you've got to have an uh, Italian-sounding uh, uh, main character like Mario, so I thought, oh, yeah, call it Angelo. <laughs> <laughs> And plus, uh, when we, we did the live recording of this show here on Twitch, which has actually got to be about a month ago now, you were actually in the chat, so you got mentioned a few times. Yeah, uh, yeah, the show. that's right. I had a break from uh, polishing the Ferraris. I thought I'll go in and see what they say. <laughs> yeah, and obviously your check got through fine because they just praised the crap out of the game. So Yeah, they did. <laughs> no, it was a good review. <laughs> and 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 it was good that the video they showed is the uh, the latest uh, updated version. I did just uh, in 2019, where I yeah we had joystick support and yeah. Well, back in the day, I didn't know uh, on the color computer how to read the joystick. Um, 
And uh, there's a few things I didn't like about the game because the game was written on the Coco Coco 2. And uh, the Coco 3 version I did end up doing at the time was a rush job just to satisfy Tandy, who said they, they wanted a slightly more Coco 3 version. So all I did was change the colours to Coco, you know, to suit the Coco 3 and run uh, a few routines at the higher clock rate. And that was it. That was the Coco 3 version. But the, nine, the 2019 update was the proper Coco 3 version with joystick control. I uh, adjusted the game a bit in some areas, which I wasn't happy with back in the day. Made the game less finicky when jumping. So it's a fairly smooth running game. And the video they showed on the interview shows that version. And you can see you can pretty well hop along quite quite rapidly uh, between uh, the levels. Now, one thing I wanted to, to bring up here, because a lot of people don't know about it, like you, you originally did this on the TSA Model 1 and 3. And then, of course, you did the Coco 1 2 version with some tweaks for the Coco 3 version in 2019. But yeah. you've actually ported it to another platform, which a lot of people don't know about. Uh, and then it'll come up in the chat during the, the live taping. The Maximite, yeah, I believe it's called. The Maximite. Yeah, Maximite's just a uh, locally uh, here in Australia made computer, which was in, in Ele Electronic Magazine. It was a project that someone did based on, um, oh, I forget the name of the, uh, I forget the name of the microcontroller, but it's a one chip computer and it runs um, 80 megahertz. So I thought, and I bought one of those. So I thought it, it's, it's programmed in basic. The guy has written his own basic and it was very powerful. So I wrote it for that. And it's written completely in basic on the Maximite. And uh, it, uh, it's got eight colors. It uses uh, Amiga mod file sound effects. Otherwise, it's very similar to the Coco version. Okay. Yeah, just I know a few people had asked about it in the chat. They didn't heard about the Maximites. I thought I'd get it from the horse's mouth. Though. Well, on the, um, I, I did do a website on the Donut Dilemma 2019 update. And I do show there's a few versions as well that other versions that have been made. In particular, there was an IBM PC version in development at one point, but it never got finished. And that one had all nice PC 24-bit graphics. Um, uh, there's a picture on, on the website, but it's got more advanced graphics. That would have been a good one to have. Yeah, too bad the one never finished. Yeah, that one was, was, uh, was pretty good. Anyway, enough about Nick here. I'm getting tired of talking about him all the time. So. Yeah, I'm going to go watch the other Ferrari. So, yeah. Your check must have been delayed this month, Curtis. Yeah. Yeah, my <laughs> check hasn't arrived yet. Obviously, the Amigos got theirs, but... Uh... Yeah. <laughs> anyway, all kidding aside, it's actually a really good game. We've, we featured it on the Game on Challenger fairly recently, I think, didn't we? Um, or did yeah, we? we did, actually, yeah. I remember if that was when Ken was doing it, that was still Nick? Yeah, I can't remember. The, the Coco three, the, the new Coco three version. That's on one of that. Is that on the Gunstar desk or which w which uh, one is that on? Well, it it is, I think, on the Gunstar CD. Yeah, but uh, you can download it as well. It's on um, it's on my archive website. I think uh, I've got a link there to it. You can download both this new version as well as the original nineteen. 
86 version, which uh, had the PAL artifacting. The unmodded version. Yeah, the one where you had to hold down three keys at once to throw dough. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was... Uh, uh, it was fine for me uh, back in the day, but uh, nowadays I just tangle my fingers up. So <laughs> I thought it was time to get those joysticks into play. It's much easier. Yeah, so for those of you who don't have the modified uh, Coco 3 version with you know the, the better controls and joystick support, et cetera, the, just to go grab it from uh, Nick Morenti's Project Archive website for don entry for Donut Dilemma. And if you uh, don't have the URL handy, just search Nick Morenti's Project Archive and you'll find it on the web. I think I've got a separate page. Uh, if you look at the menu at the very first, on the very first page, uh, you'll see Donut Dilemma 2019. And just so you know, the Donut Dilemma was about 30 weeks ago. I was, I was back 30. when I was still doing it. Yeah. Wow. It was week 63, and we're on week 94 right now. Cool. I mean, it's it's a really good show. It's a, of course I you know I, I'm always in their chat room when they're recording it. They record live on Twitch. They release it on YouTube literally about a month later. Um, I think they just recorded last time. I think Dungeons of Daggerath, which is a rather interesting review. And uh, we're actually, if you're a member of their Discord, they take votes on what the game is going to be next time based on the criteria of having a certain category of games. So I think that on the Coco Show in particular, they have five or six categories, broad categories. And then people submit if if they're a Patreon, uh, they will submit you know a list of these games, and then I'm kind of the moderator of that, so I'll pick five of them and put them up for a vote right before you know the week before the show is going to record live, so people can actually participate in, in picking the games for them. Um, is the um, Dungeons of Daggerath uh, review page up? No, um, I, they, they, like I said, they pre-record the Twitch ones about a month early. Oh, so the okay. release on YouTube, if you go to Twitch, you can find it now, and it'll be there until Twitch expires at whatever right. time period that yeah. is. Um, but that's the raw version, like with, you know, non-edited. Non yeah, so if they had yeah. any connection problems and stuff, you'll see everything. Yeah. So the, the, this is the fine-tuned YouTube version of it. Curious to see uh, what they thought of Daggerath, because that is one it, of the... It is interesting, but it, if you go on their Twitch channel, you, you can see it. It's on there. If you don't want to wait right. till the YouTube official cleaned-up version. Yeah. Anyway, next up, Jim Gary uh, did a four tier. Now, this is a, a bit of a, a different for him lately. I mean, it's something he's done before, but it's been a while since he's done these. He's been importing a lot of, you know, ZX Spectrum games and ZX81 games and, you know, games from like creative computing books from 1978. This time he ported a Coco game. So this is originally from the book Fantastic Computer Games for the color computer, which we've uh, shown. And I think, Ken, you might even have one of these or somebody on the panel, I think at one time had some of these books. Um, but this is originally written by Stephen Holiday in 1984, and it's called Speedboat. So he ported it to the MC10. I'll show a little bit of it. Yeah, I covered this one on my channel because this was one of the games that I played a lot when I was a kid. It's one of the ones that I used to learn how to program by changing all the code to see what happens. So a lot of games were done with this, you know, steer down a, a moving road, and you know, sometimes a road racer. But this one actually has things where you have to pick up objects, you have to dodge certain obstacles. Did you die if you hit on? Um, like you've got these little gaps here, you've got to kind of narrowly navigate through. So it's it's got a little bit extra to it for this type of a game because it's basically just you know, scrolling semi graphics. But, uh, 
Although there's, another not, one. there's not usually a tail behind the boat. But did he add that? Uh, he must have awake or something because you know, all the times I've, I've typed this one in a few times, I've never had that. Okay. So I wonder if that was just something he did himself or is that a bug that he just never fixed? Where's the furniture? <laughs> oh, wrong well, game. This is water. You can't have the furniture there. So. Oh, furniture could be floating around in the water. I don't know. If you've seen these couches like the one Terry hit there, they just sink to the bottom so you never need to worry about it. <laughs> Now, out of this particular book, Ken, was this your favorite game out of the book, or was it just an average mediocre one? Or I'd say this was probably my favorite one. Okay. Um, there, there's this book was full of a lot of really good games, though. There's like three or four games I think that I really enjoyed out of it. I like the trees. Yeah, that was that was a theme I used when I tried writing the skiing game way back in eighty one, eighty two, too. So anyway, that's, you can get that on, on Jim Gary's website, of course, if you want to download it and try it on an MC10 or one of the MC10 emulators, including online with Xware. Uh, but that's what the game looks like. And then the last one here is, uh, this is a series we covered before. So it's a, a YouTube site that's called I Only Did It for the Calculator Watch. And uh, basically what he's been doing, there's some of these things they sold in the UK where it'd be like a bundle of 50 rather poor basic programs that we'd sell as a big bundle and was like, oh, you got 50 programs for the price of one type thing. Well, it was pretty well worth the one fiftieth of a good program. This is not as good as the fantastic computer games that Ken typed in the previous game from. So this one uh, is from the uh, game 40 of the cassette 50, the Dragon 32. And this was released a couple of times. Now, a couple of these were done where they released an earlier version in 1983, and then they revised and you know upgraded some of the programs in the 1984 version. So in this particular case, and I'm, 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 I'm unsure why they called this uh, original thing, they called Do Your Sums. It's actually not. It's a, the first program is just a dice simulator, simulates a six-sided dice, which is kind of boring. Uh, I'll just briefly show you what it kind of looks like here. Yeah, so there you can see it, it rolled a five, rolled two. So it does try to, you know, sort of graphically draw it out to look like an actual dice throw, but that's all it does. The second one was a uh, different game, which actually is a bit of a game. It's kind of, it's called Derby Dash, and it's um, basically a betting on horses thing. And there was two versions of it, the 1983 version. Oh, yeah, there's also this uh, composing, it was called a, a composing Mozart program, which basically you type in the equivalent of a play statement. All it did was insert the word play in front of it and play whatever it is with no error checking at all. So he actually demonstrates getting an FC error by mistyping one digit, making it out of range. So that was kind of a, a dull one. But then he did a little horse betting thing here. Oh, maybe that was a second video. I think I forgot to put the link on. Anyway, there's a basically a horse racing game. The first version of it just basically did text these little numbers across for your numbered horses to bet on. The second one put in some very, very slow PMO3 graphics, but it's not really a game. It's just like a random guessing game. So, But uh, if you guys have never seen these before, this is kind of uh, what it looks like, the uh, cassette that they sold this on with the stupid ad in front. Um, but these were basically like, dirt cheap. It was like if you, if you wanted a game not as good as the Fantastic Computer Games book, but you didn't feel like typing them all in, this is a cheap way to do it. But uh, they're generally pretty low quality. And that's it for the uh, the game on news this week. So not a ton. I'll switch over to the regular news. 
from around the world. What you need to know. Get caught up on News with El Curtis Hanoi Muppet News Flash. All right, take it away, Curtis. Okay, you're seeing Vintage is the New World there? Yep. yep. Okay. So the first one up is Alan Huffman. He posted a couple of things this week. So this first one here is his part two article exploring the differences between the original VDG and the T1. And this actually sparked, I think, uh, Kieran finding a slight bug on palette settings for the T1 VDG on XROR, which he's since fixed. So the original VDG did not support lowercase. And these were basically the four different screen modes you could do. So you've got your regular text, you've got your inverted text, which is actually not you know green on black, it's green on very dark green. And then there's the alternate color set version, which has this slightly off yellowish orange and then a really dark red. Now, one difference with the T1 VDG uh, is that the color of the orange actually changed. And I hadn't really noticed this before myself because I don't have a T1, but now that he's mentioned, I do kind of remember people mentioning this. There's a few other differences too. If you want to tell the difference without actually taking apart the cocoa to take a look, you can tell by the shape of the O, because you'll see it's square on the original VDG and it's more rounded on the T1 VDG. The zero will also have a slash zero. through it. Which, yeah. The zero will have a slash through it as well that the uh, old VDG does not have. And the characters will shift. Like if you take a look here where the green border starts, you'll see on the T1, the characters are one pixel from the top of the cell but they're two pixels from the top of the cell on the original VDG. Now this is to make room for descenders, like lowercase descenders, like a G or a P that you can go below. Uh, unfortunately for games that it actually used Semigraphics 24 tricks to mix and match scan lines of different characters like Protectors 2, uh, which did these little waving men, it totally screws those up because now everything's a scan line off. So what you're trying to pick out to put on the screen doesn't match. And uh, here he shows the different character sets there too. And of course, the T1 also adds some extra bits enabled too. So the original one basically only had a few bits enabled for uh, the screen color set, basically that orange, red versus the two different versions of green. The T1 added in uh, like controlling the border color to be a solid green or a black square. Um, it actually had an inverse video built in so that you can inverse the entire font instantly without you having to do any mucking around rewriting characters to the screen. So I had a, a couple of nice features. Those were carried over to the Coco 3 as well. Uh, unfortunately, we did lose all the semi-graphics, at least until the Gimme X comes out. But one thing you did notice here is that these colors of the orange in the background between a regular one, we can get that kind of off orange, doesn't happen on the T1 VDG. It becomes one solid orange. We actually lost a color. And there are some games I've seen on the Dragon stuff that actually took advantage of some, like some of the uh, demonstrating of, of flames and stuff like that have used... All the, like there's a there's a regular red, there's a regular orange, on on the semi graphics palette, and then there's these dark red and this yellowish orange you get on the original VDG, and now the yellowish orange is just straight orange. It, it, it you've lost an additional color if you're fiddling with semi graphics or screen sets, which I had not realized, which is kind of annoying, but that explains why some of those demos don't look quite as good if you're running on a T1 VDG. So he goes into a bit of you know comparison videos here to kind of show you the differences. So entry, anyway, that's a, a fairly interesting bit, a tidbit into some of the differences of the T1 VDG. And then uh, Alan also released a video 
which I won't bother playing here because we've been discussed it ad nauseum already at this point, but he kind of goes through some of the features on the new X for the 1.0 X release. I think it's up to 1.02 now. It's been a few bug fixes, but this is the one that adds in the Cocoa 3 support and also adds in the MC10 support. Um, and also the online version does as well, but uh, Alan goes through a bit of a video here kind of explaining the differences and demonstrating it. One thing he demonstrated, which is really cool, and one thing that the MC10 had that the Cocoa did not have was the modifications to basics. You could do shortcut keys to both type in, you know, statements from basic. You do print with just hitting, uh, you know, one key plus a certain other key. You'd get print or you get an input or go to or whatever. So you could do much faster typing, got used to it. There were third-party utilities that did this. Platinum Software, I know, did one in the Cocoa One days, even before the MC10 came out, that did this kind of thing. And the other nice thing about the MC10 is also have the ability to create graphics characters like the, uh, the graphical blocks, like the cursor here, for example, is graphical block, the white you see on the screen. And there was key sequences you could hit there to get semi-graphics characters and another alternate key sequence to change the color. And you could put like print, quote, and then you could start fiddling with these keys and actually punch in the actual graphics directly. So when you listed the program, it would show the graphics. That does not work on the Cocoa at all on, on the current color basic or extended basic. So he demonstrates some of those features for those who are not familiar with the MC10 of some of the nice little things it had that the Cocoa did not have. So if you're interested in that, you can definitely check out that video from now on. Next up, I, I don't normally cover people just finding in a Cocoa in an eBay auction or something, but this was a kind of an interesting one. Mike Rose just picked this one up as a Cocoa One. And it's been heavily, heavily modified as you can see. But this reminds me so much of the early 80s. Like when our computer club first formed in 80, late 82, uh, here locally in Saskatoon, we had a lot of these, uh, what you call them, eccentric hardware hackers, I guess, that would use everything they could find locally. They didn't like spending money on anything. So, you know, go to Radio Shack and pay, you know, 30 cents for a wire or a cable. Forget it. I'm going to use whatever got lying around the house. And that's exactly what this thing is. You can use see all kinds of different wiring and like a what? telephone cable or something. I don't know what that was. Wasn't all this just to add a reset switch? Uh, maybe there might have been more to it than that. I'm not even sure, to be honest. But it's just it's it. This reminded me so much of the early '80s ethic of all the hackers because this is before software got whatever you know, he had handy. Yeah, well, I mean, after like about the mid '80s, it started being more user oriented. You were getting a lot more people just using computers. They weren't getting into the inner guts and figuring out how to do hacks and stuff like that. But the early 80s, this picture so much reminds me. I would go to club meetings and we'd have like six people bringing computers that looked like this. And this is the type of stuff and hacks they were doing. They're drilling holes in the cases and, you know, all kinds of stuff. Hacking a Model 3 keyboard into a Cocoa 1 by cutting the actual surround of the keyboard area to make it fit. And, you know, there was no trying to preserve a retro computer, I think, because it wasn't retro back then. It was just like... How can I make this do something interesting to me with whatever I've got lying around the house that's fair? And that's exactly what we see here. So, yeah, there's alligator clips. There's a telephone wire that's, you know, got a hole drilled through the case to go through. And it's uh, that's definitely the early 80s, 80s, late 70s aesthetic, I guess. I thought that was kind of interesting. Next up, um, Simon Jonason. I don't know if he's still on the call or not. Yeah, there here. So this is a plasma and dual voice sound demo that you did for the MC10, I think actually about four or five years ago, but I don't think you'd uploaded the actual image. I think it was part of a demo that was shown at the fest or something. And did you upload source for it too? Or? I've not uploaded the source yet because I've got a bit of music player today. So I'm going to plug that in. Um, but I'm taking a take on that because I'm actually kind of 
<laughs> really funking your MC10 right now. Yeah, it's actually, that's another thing we'll cover a little bit later is you're fiddling around with the timing on the VDG for this, this green color set. But this, this you've actually made this this plasma demo now officially available as a download for MC10 users. As yeah, it's a it's a C10 file. I, I can post a source on it. Um, it's not a problem. It's not a problem. Okay, and for those I, I didn't I didn't grab the video unfortunately before the Dragon special this morning, so I can't show it. But basically, it's your plasma demo with a two voice one bit sound music playing in the background at the same time as the animation is going on. Which is very impressive. I think we showed it off at Coco Fest, if I remember. Um, Jason, you might have actually been running it. Was it you or somebody else was running? It? I can't remember. There's a few Simon demos. There was like a three. I, I think Ron one. was running one at one point. Oh, was it Ron? Okay. And a cube. Yeah, the spinning 3D cube. That was another one of Simon's. What well, the one that pissed pissed Bjork off? <laughs> Uh, next up after that, there's the actual download link itself. If you want to go grab it directly from the uh, Coco group. Now, I think you put this in the MC10 group as well, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I put it in the MC10 group. Yes, I put it um, both in the Coco and the MC10 group. Okay. So if you're on a member of either of those groups and you want to run it either in the emulator or on a real MC10, go grab it and take a look. It's a cool demo. I mean, I can, if anyone wants a WAV file to load into a real MC10 or something like that, I could just cook it up real quick. It's not a, it's not a massive problem. Okay. Next up, uh, Rick Adams here. He's been working on a basic preprocessor. Now, this is similar to, I'm trying to remember what the name of the other one was, because there's another project that's been doing this for about a year, year and a half. It basically takes... sort of structured basic style, like more modern basic style, of writing disk basic programs or super extended basic or whatever, and then converts it into, you know, standard Microsoft basic with line numbers and everything else here so that you can, you know, basically you can write the code pretty prettily so it looks nice by modern standards and it'll convert it to actual code. And you can kind of see an example of it here that uh, Rick posted. So this is like, you know, basically his version that he puts in the parser. He's got, you know, four next with indents and stuff like that to make it look pretty. He's got a few specific line numbers. And then it'll convert it down to what actually will load properly in the machine because obviously this won't. Um, it resembles Basic 9 actually to, to some extent, except using the syntax of, of disk basic and super extended basic. So I, I know there's another project, I don't know which of the names of the person or the name of the project would uh, come to my head right now, but unfortunately it's escaping me. But Rick's been doing his own implementation of the color coding here on, on basic statements and REMS and stuff like that he did himself as well. So. Just something he decided to fiddle with. He hadn't. He said he hadn't touched disk basic in decades. He'd always been using assembly or a little bit of OSI and stuff, and he decided to get his feet wet with uh, the the regular Microsoft basic. So it's kind of interesting to see him go back in time like that. Uh, next up, the Cocoa Pie project has had a couple updates uploaded in the last couple weeks. One is uh, Dick's or sorry, Rick Adams' uh, disk extended basic preprocessor available, which now is bundled with the Cocoa Pie if you download the image. And of course, the new XWare 1.02, which is uh, basically the Cocoa 3 and the MC10 support added, and has had a couple of bug fixes along the way. There was a bug in the 6803 condition code flags, uh, the color thing on the VDG that Alan Alfman discovered. So that's all been fixed. Now, I'm not sure what's new in MAME 0.238. I don't know if anybody here on the panel knows, but that's now included as well. But I'm not sure what has changed on that one. Does anybody know? Anybody fiddled with MAME 238? Not yet. 
Yeah. Ron might know, but I think he's on the phone, so. <laughs> but uh, I'll maybe I'll bring him in a little bit later if he has time. I don't know if he's tried that. Not. Okay, what? I was wondering, have you had a chance to try the MAME 238 update and what, what's new on it? I know it's included uh, in the Cocoa Pie, but I'm not sure what changed. I'm not sure what changed either. I did upload it, but I haven't messed with it much. Okay. It's XROAR stuff. Well, XROAR is a separate package, and it looks like both MAME and XROAR got updates on this latest Cocoa Pie. So I'm not sure. I, I know what's new in XROAR. I just don't know what's new in, in Yeah, MAME. I don't either. Yeah, I, <laughs> I upload stuff, and... Uh, Half the time, some of it's uh, emulators or, you know, stuff that I don't particularly use, but I got the latest of it all. <laughs> yeah. Like, I know sometimes they add new hardware support for third-party cards and stuff, and then other times it's just bug fixes or something, so I'm not sure. Yeah. Maybe the next time, uh, if Ron Klein catches this, he can let us know. Yeah, he would be the one to talk to. He's He's really sharp. Uh, next up, uh, Color Computer Programming, uh, which is a YouTube channel called Before He Keeps Doing Little Basic Tutorials. So he did four this week. I'm not going to play them this time around, but he did a, what he called the Color Computer Screensaver, which is basically just it draws some lines or boxes and has this little smiley face that you know jumps around the screen. It's just kind of a silly program to uh, run in the background if you're not using your Cocoa for much, just to you know, prevent burn-in on a CRT, which isn't really a problem with LCD monitors these days, but I think most of us have now. Um, and he does extend basic you know, factor any numbers, so it kind of goes through figuring out factorials, uh, solving quadratic equations, uh, and then non-repeating random numbers using subscript arrays um, to kind of keep track of which ones you've already done before, rather than just completely random, which can repeat numbers over and over again. So you know, kind of his tutorial style that he, he does and has been doing for a while, but he's been cranking out a good you know, three to five videos a week here, so he's actually getting a lot of good use out of the Cocoa emulator. So. Next up, um, this person here is uh, getting into the MC10 and hoping to get it running again, has one, and posted about this on the Vintage, Retro, or Vintage Computing channel on Reddit. And uh, Jim Gary actually posted the link to this in the MC10 group, and he's actually trying to get people to upvote it so that it shows up higher on the Reddit thing so that people can find out about the MC10 because it's a fairly obscure computer that's not well known. Um, and I see he's up to 60 upvotes right now, so... Um, hopefully it'll, it'll get some attention to the MC10 that doesn't normally get gotten. And especially with all the new games we've, we've showed off from Japan that came out the last few weeks here, uh, there's definitely a little bit more interest in it here too. So I'm hoping that uh, that might you know, help fuel the flames even higher yet. So if you have an MC10 or interested in the MC10, please go upload that on Reddit. You can get the link from our news notes on our Discord. And then speaking of Jim Gary again here, he, of course, uh, had to crank out a, a, another game. So this year, he's, um, I didn't quite put this under the game news. I mean, it is a game. It's its basically a, a version of uh, uh, the game Free Cell, which we've shown on the show before because he's actually had it before. But here he was using it to test x -Roar. And this is the compiled version of the game. So this is running through the, uh, the MC10-based compiler that we had the author of the compiler on the MC10 special recently. And this is actually the game that they discovered a bug in Karen's implementation of the 6803 processor. The condition code flags on the 6803, there's a certain type of uh, instruction that actually does it a little bit differently than the 6809 on the Cocoa was. Karen did not know that, so we originally implemented it like the 6809 would. And actually, this game here is the one that would screw up and not function properly. 
And between the two of them, they figured out what had happened. So this is kind of showing it fixed. And it's a 16-minute video of playing pre-sell, which I'm not going to show, but uh, there's a little bit of interesting history as to why he did this particular video to show that it had been fixed. And this, uh, I might as well let uh, Simon speak on this one, because this is uh, playing around with the, uh, the color set option on the VDG. You'll notice you're getting vertical stripes of the orange, red, and the green palette going across. So this is doing it multiple times per character row. And uh, Simon, I, I, it sounds like you're you still have some more stuff you want to do with this as well, or? Yeah, I mean, if you look at one of the later ones, I'm actually emulating um, pretty much SG12. Okay, was that in the comments you had about that? Yeah, there you go. That's pretty much SG12, um, and this is mode shift. I need to I need to figure it out completely, but you can actually. By doing mode shifts, uh, I need to push the graphics here into the border so you can't see it. But you can pretty much do SG12 without a sound. Oh, okay. So what you're doing there is that you're changing it to a mode that only has like two scan lines or one scan line per row and then switching it right back again. So it's fooling the VDG into only displaying that semi-graphics for mode four scan line. And then you can change yep. like color sets, et cetera. Oh, okay, I get what you're doing here then. That's pretty cool, actually, because right now, because the uh, the regular semi graphics above six on the VDG required the SAM as a paired chip to it for it to work, like on the Coco. Uh, the MC10 normally does not support semi graphics above six at all, and you're kind of faking it here by fooling it into running like P mode two or P mode four or something like that, and then bouncing back. Yeah, I think it's probably P mode two or something like that. Um, yeah, P mode four wouldn't make much sense because it's not enough RAM to actually hold the whole screen so it wraps back. <laughs> actually, I did P mode four. I did P mode four on this, and I can actually get uh, pretty much an SG twenty four. But the problem is, you've only got four K of screen, so yeah. half of it's going to repeat at the bottom. So I'm just, okay, we'll take the common denominator. Yeah, so if you're doing semi-graphics 12, you're doing the equivalent of about a 3K screen, which does fit in the 4K. And and exactly. one one limitation the MC10, of course, is that you if, unless you rewire it and resolder and stuff there, the 4K RAM that's on board is the only thing you can use for graphics RAM. Even if you had a 16K module pack or one of the newer, you know, higher up ones, you can't put the graphics screen into that RAM. It has to be on the original 4K on the motherboard. Yeah, and you can't flip, you can't flip screens, and you can't. You pretty much, you pretty much, you're dead in the water. You can't. You've got no H sync, no V sync, nothing. Yeah, I mean V sync, you can kind of fake with the built-in hardware timers if you you know have the person tap keys until they move it into the board or switching the color set like John Lindell did on um, some of his MC10 games. Yeah, well, and then you can tell the timer to fire off at that time, so you kind of have a fake V sync. But yeah, this is what this is based around. But this is a fake H sync and a fake V sync at the same time. Okay. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I thought I'll. Well, someone showed my plasma demo, and I thought, yeah, I'll give the little bugger some attention. Okay. Now, out of curiosity, how much CPU time do you have left doing this? Because I mean, that this if you're firing off the H sync here, that's gonna or the fake H sync, that's that's gonna be burning quite a few CPU cycles, is it not? <sighs> yeah, but I mean, potentially you could do like half a screen. You could do like half a screen of graphics and something at the bottom. Um, and 
a lot of instructions are a lot faster on the 6803 than they are on the 6809. Okay. So you got a little bit more time to play with on a 6809 on the same technical. You've, you've also got the timer. Yeah, like a Cobra 3 does, a programmable timer. Yeah. So what did Tandy leave out? Okay, so that makes sense. If you did like a semi-graphics 12 thing where you could, you know, use a lot of CPUs, I'm like you said, drawing the top half of the screen to draw a picture for an adventure game or something, and then, you know, kick it off and just run regular text in the bottom half, you could have a text adventure game with graphics with nine or 10 colors, uh, fairly high res, like, you know, 64 by, I don't know, 48 or something like that, or whatever you want, depending on how much of the screen you use, and then mix the text after that with some CPU time for the game. Yeah, I mean, it's right now it's pie in the sky. It's just it's just an experiment. But I was thinking, no, this little machine needs some more love. Yeah, and I haven't seen anybody actually twist the VDG to, to fake a semi-graphics before on, on the MC10, so that's, that's an interesting technique. I hadn't really thought about that. Switching it to a P mode, which actually does use less lines, you know, as it's counting down going through the screen without having a SAM. So that's that's cool. Yeah, I look forward to see where you take this. And it might inspire some other MC10 machine language programmers like Greg Dion or somebody to maybe come up with a game that actually uses this and actually gives you like a, a high-res, full-color game on the MC10 rather than the, the four colors. Oh, let the madness prevail. <laughs> uh, next up, this is a sequel to a video we demonstrated last week. Um, so a guy named Chris Hawkins who put up a, basically, this is one where his wife actually bought him a Dragon 32 system on eBay as a present. Um, most of us do not have supposes like that that would actually support our hobbies like this uh, and, and actually encourage it. So last week he unboxed the whole thing and he basically said, yeah, here's a bunch of magazines, here's the manuals, here's a bunch of tapes. And then he kind of went through the hardware side of things. So here he actually goes into a bit more detail. Um, so this time he goes through the magazines and specific and he goes through the cassettes um, and he's kind of setting aside ones. He wants to do a third video. He's actually going to try playing some of them. Um, so we'll, we'll look forward to that here. But yeah, this has a lot of the original artwork and stuff. Like any of you watched the Dragon meetup that we had before the show today officially, we saw some cassettes that were on some of the tables that were being sold and also part of the trivia question was some of the artwork and stuff that they had for the Dragon games. And you get to see quite a few on here as well. Um, so that was kind of interesting. And he's got a third video. He's actually going to be playing some of the games. He's actually asking for some suggestions of maybe some games to play out of the ones he got with this bundle. Uh, next up here, another, we mentioned this during the Dragon meetup. Um, basically, John Worth, the guy that did the uh, Super Sprite FM Plus board, uh, he also was showing that other Sprite board that was done back in 83, 84 that we're not sure if it actually got commercially sold, but it definitely was prototyped because they actually got one from the original author that had created the board. And they also had the extensions to basic um, that actually supported some of this, the Sprite functionality in the new graphics modes. And what he's done here is he's actually taken the original documentation and redone it in Word for that original 1983, 84 Sprite board for the Dragon. And it's got all the extensions for basic that are mentioned on it. Um, and also some uh, pokes and stuff and like how it's connected to the cartridge port, what pins line up to what on the card. So it's a good reference point. And if anybody want, you know duplicates that board, which has been done now by John and a few others, I think, um, this will actually explain how to use the extended ROM function that they put in and patch in the basic to use this kind of stuff. So it's a nice little uh, Word doc you can grab there too. Hopefully we'll get some more demonstration and talk out of that tomorrow if we can get a hold of John. 
I know we saw John quite a bit during the live Dragon stream, but I don't think we really got a chance to talk to him unless you guys got to talk to him before I got onto the stream about half an hour later after the start. But uh, I'd like love to talk to him about this and the difference between this board and the Super Sprite FM Plus board. And then last one here, this is uh, another guy we've also covered on the show before a few months back. Um, it's called Arctic Retro, and I think he's in Norway or something like that. He's up fairly north there, you know, Canada-level winters and stuff. Uh, but he got a Dragon 32 uh, bundle as well, and he kind of goes through that as well, too. He actually disassembles the Dragon, kind of goes through the pieces, replaces some caps on it. It did boot up fine at the beginning, uh, except the video was a little bit shaky and stuff, so he showed you how to twist twist and turn the arf modulator and stuff to get a cleaner signal and he does some testing of some games and stuff on it as well um but he seems pretty happy like it seems to be working pretty good and it was actually he was mentioning it was dusty and stuff it's actually one of the cleaner motherboards i've ever seen for uh, you know something that's been sitting in somebody's shed or something for months or years or whatever but uh, it, it shows the hardiness of the machines that you can get something on ebay that's you know 40 years old and just plug it in it works which is what he did he did replace a few things that were a little bit sneaky, but uh, it generally did work. And that's it for the news for today, except for whatever happens at the Dragon Meetup, maybe later today and maybe tomorrow. Okay. Let's see. Project, uh, project updates next? Yep, project updates and acquisitions for anybody that has those. Obviously, Simon's talked about his little MC10 project. I have an acquisition. Okay, shoot. I have an acquisition. Uh, you were talking about John a moment ago. So I'm going to show you the uh, original. That's the original board. Yeah, and it's still called the Dragon M62 Plus. Yeah. yeah, and I'll show the other side of the board. Okay, so he was kind enough to send me the new one. So this is the official release he's selling then? Yep. Is there, is there major differences from what you can tell or is it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I don't know if, if, if my camera will focus this, but if you look at the, uh, um, can you see where the SCART plug is? Yeah. Yeah. You see the tiny two little chippies. Um, yeah. And yeah. take the other one. Completely oh, yeah. Different. Okay. Yeah. Completely different. And the video circuitry down the bottom. Um, and also a lot of headers and stuff like that. So the board is completely reworked. Um, so I'm looking forward to having fun with this one. Yeah, they were demonstrating it at, at the show there, so we got to see some of its features in action. I know Paris Surratt's been writing a ton of stuff. Yeah, and Paris Surratt, uh, he actually done a sample player. Yeah. Sample player using the little tiny chip on board there. Well, um, he could thank me for that. <laughs> yeah, and of course, he's been backporting some of the AGD stuff to use the sprite functions and stuff too, as well as the, uh, the sound player stuff. So yeah, there's all... That's one nice thing about this board, and we mentioned it last week, too, is that it actually comes with a fair bit of software support right off the bat. A lot of time we get this new hardware, and then you know, we're waiting for some software guy to come along and, and use it, which has happened like a lot of the sound cards. So that's why we haven't seen a lot. But uh, this this seems to be coming as a complete package pretty well at the gate. 
I think that yeah. will really help itself. That's why John sent me the new one because I've got a lot of stuff laying about, but but uh, some of it just doesn't work on the prototype. Okay. So all I have to do is move the chips from the prototype board to this one and say, "Hey, Bob's your uncle." Okay, cool. I look forward to see what you what you came out with that, for that too. Now that uh, Para and a few others are starting to really delve into it, I know some people here have gotten it. I think Brian Weezer's got one of them. Uh, here in North America, I know there's a few North American orders that came in through, and a few of them are on the Coco Talk panels, at least similarly regularly. So I'm really hoping one of them will be able to come on the show at some point, actually demo it live, and kind of you know give us their impressions of the board, and if you know, someone happened to be software authors to see what they can do with it. Um, I don't know who is anybody in the panel here besides Simon got one of these. Nope. And I know John had sold out his first uh, batch of them already too. So I, I know there was some talk about some of the chips had really gone up in price. He wasn't sure if he's going to do another run or not. So I think he's been kind of convinced to. His power supply board, though, as far as I know, he he sold out of that one too, and for the dragon, and uh, that one he's not planning on going back to redo unless you know sort of a huge influx of interest in. He's not actually doing the power board as well. He'd done a, a few of the uh, USB power boards, but he stopped doing that as well. Yeah, I'm not quite sure where he stopped because it sounded like there's at least a little bit of a demand for it. Maybe he has to get a certain amount of orders before it's worthwhile. I'm not sure. Anybody else on the panel with any project updates or acquisitions? Yeah, a little bit. Um, I've been trolling JLC to see what shows up, and they came up with some of those WizNet network chips okay. so i will in fact have a dozen of these network cards pretty soon for people to play with oh, and cool. maybe the uh maybe the big crunch is over i mean this is suspiciously leftover numbers like 314 parts which means you know they got 5,000, but they already had 4,000 of them you know <laughs> So we're living off the scraps, but there are scraps starting to show back up, and that's a good thing. So yeah, so how would that's you... been a huge problem for everybody in hardware the last no, how many months is it now? So how would you use that? Like, uh, would that go in my multi-pack, and I'd use um, NetMate with it, or what? Yeah, it fits in a multi-pack. Um, right now, I've got some demo software in, in OS nine. Um, yeah, you're showing some of it the fest here. I think even like your little uh, basic one nine web browser, right? Exactly. It doesn't. It doesn't take a lot of driving to drive it. We basically just need ways to deal with the. Okay, I've got two K of data that's not in RAM. Do I need to put it in RAM, or can I process it direct to screen, or what? To most efficiently use our little Cocoa Bus. Um, so it doesn't really need a driver. It needs memory management. Uh, but until I get some in people's hands, that's kind of the cart and the horse. You got to have one or the other. Yeah, we were just talking about that with like the, the Super Sprite board. One advantage it has is that people have gotten software out for it almost immediately. So they were exactly well, and he had the hardware out. So you know, I had, I had neither one. So now at least we'll have some hardware. So we'll see where that leads. Uh, 3D printers printing away as we speak. So I'll have cases. Cause cool. Do you, you have an expected ship date for the people that have expressed interest in possibly fiddling with them on the software level? Uh, within, like, by next Cocoa Fest, I should have them in my hands. Or by next Cocoa Talk. I mean, next week, I should I should have them in my hands because that's the speed that GLC goes. They, 
they run out of parts quick because they use them up right away. So, yeah. to my okay, advantage. Okay, cool. Now, this, this is the board that also has a 16550 serial port on it as well? Uh, or is this just the network card version? So, this one's just the network card, and it's starting to look pretty shaky. I've noticed several vendors have just dropped the 550 totally. Oh, okay. So... I'm starting to think maybe in place of the serial port, what I should just do is use that board space for a ROM, and then you could put drive wire on this pack. Built under the cart. Yeah, that's a good idea. And just, okay, here's my network. Here's my drive wire. I need a Cat5 cable, and I'm done. <laughs> so uh, fate may have forced me into a new configuration here. So we'll see how that goes. But in the meantime, I need to get some of them out there and get people to writing network stuff because we need, you know, we need a DNS service and all kinds of nifty things. And I can't write all this crap. I got, <laughs> I'm, I'm having enough trouble with HTML tables and. Yeah, handing in all the tags and stuff. Yeah, it's a pain in the ass. Right. Well, you know, and like, okay, so here, here's the kind of problem. Tables, you got to get the width of each column for the length of the table. But because the WizNet doesn't have a real FIFO buffer, as you go through figuring out the width of each item in each column, you might scroll past the end of the buffer. So now you can't just back up again because you've, you've lost wrapped the around to the start of the buffer. And <laughs> it, oh. That's why I said that you need a memory manager, not a driver. So anyway, it's fun. Um, we're moving I'm glad you got a hold of the to... chips there because that's that's been the bane of every single hard developer I know these days. So it's been seven months of nothing. So I think maybe we're starting to for things to show up at the hobbyist level, like you know, JLC PCB is definitely hobbyist Especially level. Especially this close the... to Christmas, because you figure all the big yeah. companies are stealing all the chips for you know they catching got up theirs. on toys and yeah. crap. Right. Of course, that may be why there were 314, because someone ordered an even, you know, they didn't order quite the even ten thousand or something. But uh Hey, I'll take it. All the bigger manufacturer stuff is sitting on boats. Right, right. They've already finished making it, shipped it. It's all sitting on boats now. Yeah, well, I heard on the news, like, I don't know how accurate this is, but it sounded like the, the, the bottlenecks of all the boats, you know, floating offshore, waiting to get into shipping ports and getting enough drivers stuff is alleviated a little bit. Is that true? I haven't really followed it's, it. Yeah, it's, huh? it's starting to happen, but Slowly. starting to happen and, yeah fixed is could be a ways apart okay well that's good uh, so anybody who's got the, the the programming chops to handle writing software specifically for brand new hardware uh get in contact with rick how, how should they get a hold of you, you got an email address or something to contact you at uh yeah rick at computerconnect.com where there's only one n in connect i should have just put another n in there but uh, it's the tradition sometimes. of your old company i guess so exactly so uh yeah, that'll be cool. I, I should come up with a name for it. Like in video, the code name for we don't have any software yet is the Founders Edition. So <laughs> I like that. <laughs> the the, the CodeIO Founders Edition. This is pre alpha, basically. Right, right. Hey, well, proving the hardware works pretty good. It's there is a cocoa in the world it doesn't work with. And that's uh R. Allen Murphy's cocoa. Don't oh, work at all. It uh, no, it, it scrambles. <laughs> yeah, it has two that don't work. 
So yeah, anything in Pasadena, Texas. That's, that's the, <laughs> so yeah, that's that's a little disturbing. But then it's been on a half a dozen other cocos with no problem. So I have no idea. Are these cocoa threes or cocoa ones and twos? Uh, one of each, I think. Cocoa three and a cocoa two, if I remember right. Uh, I've tried it with my cocoa two T one. It works fine. So does my cocoa three. Hmm. I wonder yeah, what the I've, issue is then. I've got cocoa threes with two different kinds of gimmies and another cocoa two, and yeah, it's really, really a mystery. So anyway, I'm happy to get more parts so I can get more out in the field and make sure you know. Is is it possible because of all the chip supply shortage and stuff that you just got a slightly bum chip and that's happened to be what he's got? Or if he takes that exact same card as well, we we swapped a card, and yeah, I, I swapped out a part with him, and it didn't help. So we're not really sure. Is it some you know? But if you take that exact this, card, he's got it runs fine in your machine. Exactly. Okay. I'm so, I'm having him ship it to me as well. I'll try it on mine just to see if I get same results as Rick or same results as Alan. Right. Phase of the moon. What's going on? We'd like to know. <laughs> of course, I did. The original version of this card was hard-coded gates for address decoding and so forth, and it didn't quite work. So I went with a gal so I could just change the timing with programming. And that's been kind of a blessing because I've been able to fudge things backwards and forwards and sideways and kind of establish the limits of how early to how late you can do things. So it's it's been a nice experiment, but his just doesn't work. Hmm. On the other hand, everyone else's, I'm right down the center of the lane for everyone else's timing because I've messed with this so much. <laughs> also, it looks like, um, was that you, Mark, that posted the link to uh, Rick's uh, website? That was. Oh, thank you. And th th that, does that have a direct uh, click on his email address there, too, for those who want to? I think it is. It's Rick at uh, computerconnect.com. Rick at that, yeah, and there okay. should be a link there, but geez, I yeah, there's a it. yeah, there's a contact form where you can put in your email and a, a message. So, okay, so any of you are interested in helping on the software side of things and also to test to see if you've got one of the oddball cocos that doesn't work, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> we'll have to come up with a free prize for the broken cocoa contest. Or we can get Pedro just joined in uh, Rocky Hill in the chat there and says hello, Marco. Um, he, he's actually the guy who's been making the Cocoa 3 new motherboards to replace. So maybe uh, he can make it sure that you get one that does work and we'll just swap the motherboard out and fix your Cocoa instead. That'll be the acid test. Does it work on the Rocky Hill board? If it does, it's good. <laughs> yeah, and he's got Cocoa 1 or Cocoa 2 and Cocoa 3 boards now. So, and the new salt chips, something else too. So, and pepperize that, I guess he's calling it. Cool. Uh, anybody else? Any project updates or acquisitions? Nick, how's your game coming along? Oh, it's coming along. There's a fair bit of work going on, but nothing nothing really ready to show or talk okay. about. Yet. But work is progressing. It you're is. not so distracted polishing your Ferraris that you're actually still working on the game, I guess. That's right. That's right. So. I've got to, I've got to split the time between <laughs> programming and polishing. You figure with your your wealth of riches from selling Coco games here, you should be able to hire somebody to polish the Ferraris. <laughs> no one's stupid enough. <laughs> 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 uh, 
Okay. Oh, uh, 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 Rick, uh, uh, Pedro says, uh, sounds like a challenge. He's in for testing <laughs> earboards on his hardware. So. Anybody else? I know I'm, I'm, I'm helping a person with a project, but until they want to officially announce things uh, in detail, I'm, I'm not going to say anything about it. Some of you already know, but we'll leave uh, it at that for now. Does it have to do with a toaster or anything? No. No. I'm not a hardware guy, so I couldn't tell you. I just burn toast. I can't even handle a toaster properly. That's why you need a cocoa-powered one. <laughs> <laughs> if I have to start filling with power, it's going to be dead machine time, so I'll stick with my software. <laughs> I guess, Mark, mostly you've actually got a bit of a project update that's in progress that you mentioned uh, before the show. It has to do with well, floppies. Oh, um, yeah, I was uh, looking through some of my old floppies mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. seeing what's on it and mm -hmm. checking to see if, it's, <laughs> if, if they're up on the archive. And if not, then I'll publish them up on the archive. And that's a project actually I've, I was working on a year or two ago that I've got to get back into because I had found some stuff that is not on the archive. I did put a couple up recently because actually I'd found the manual pages for them. So I actually found the old disks too. But there's dozens of other disks I've not gone through yet. So so I got six containers of this to go through. Most of it is OS 9. Oh, well, now you got my interest. <laughs> I mean, four, four out of six of those is all OS 9 based. Like yeah, can you mention you might have some of the early text files, like the early reactions when the Cocoa 3 is announced. I know I have some of those myself. I've got to find those too because I don't see them anywhere else. And it's kind of interesting to see what people thought of the Cocoa 3 when it was first announced literally days after before they even got to see the machine. Because it was announced, of course, at a big, you know, Tandy Shindig July 31st, it was in 1986. And then CompuServe and Delphi had immediate reaction from people reading the press releases without seeing the machines themselves. You know, within days of that, and it'd be interesting to see that just for archival history purposes. Okay, yeah, I'll be uh, going through that and uh, seeing what I did find. Uh, I was telling you about Big Term. It's actually on my H1 image that comes with uh, EOU. Okay, so I just haven't ran it to see what exactly it is. There's a lot of stuff in there I haven't looked at because it was put in there by Roger Taylor and Bill Noble and a few others. Yeah, so it's on the in the terminals section on the uh, on the H1 image. Cool. So, and I'll try to get my caught up in mind in the next month or two when I've got a little bit more free time, but I've got multiple projects on the go too. So I'll just have to keep splitting time. I also got to start updating my page again. Anybody else with any updates or acquisitions? I was going to have an acquisition, but uh, uh, American Post decided uh, not to send it down under, send it back to <laughs> Jason. I was getting, uh, getting one of his uh, Aussie products. Which one? Posted He's got it. a whole catalog well, of those. He sent it all out. He posted. He did all the right stuff. Took my money. <laughs> and uh, they, they took my yeah. money too. <laughs> and I got this pretty pretty pink sticker. It came back from the, Yeah, and uh, so we're gonna have to figure out we're gonna do that. But uh, that does that does bring it up. So uh, unfortunately, I'm not ironically not going to be take uh, accepting uh, orders for australia right now we kind of talked about this a bit in the pre-show here but basically what happened is that there's something to do with covid they're not letting product ship or what what uh, is that that new virus apparently but i didn't think that's actually stopped anything as yet 
so soon. Why not stop flights from Africa? Like uh, Canada's stopped oh, them, yeah, UK stopped is... them. But what what does Australia and the United States have to do with that? But uh, did did the uh, post in the in the US mix up Africa and Australia? Maybe. No, they didn't. I, I, I wasn't aware of this, but I went and looked into it, and there actually is a, a stoppage of, you know, uh, how do they put it here? Uh, the uh, mail service suspended to Australia, and that's including first class, uh, you know, air mail, priority mail, pretty much everything that the U.S. Postal Service, and they do say it's due to COVID-19. So it didn't go any further from here. It went to, went to Chicago, sh- sat in Chicago, and came back to me, because Chicago is usually where it, it would dispatch from, and... Uh, well, why don't you yeah. just send it to Curtis and let him send it to Australia? Uh, that's an idea. Crazier things may have happened. I got to figure out how to get. I forgot to figure out how to get this to Nick, but um, you know. Oh, and of course they, they they put a nice big dent in the back of the box too. The uh, well, wonderful folks at USPS, but I, I'm kind of I'm kind of disappointed with PayPal and Pitney Bowes that they even let me print the label if it wasn't going to go anywhere. So now I have to go through something to get the uh, to get the label refunded and it's not really all that clear how to do it i mean there's a website on the uh, pink sticker here that says to go to but it says oh if you did it through paypal or this that and the other thing you have to follow this but it doesn't tell me what that is it's like okay that's a nice so it's, it's a lot of jargon and uh, unfortunately so it's uh, quite frustrating but yeah this this arrived this arrived today so yippee considering that you paid for freight to australia and it didn't get sent. You effectively didn't get the product you paid right. for. Right. So, it does say to request postage refund, go to usps.com, blah, 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 blah. So I can't do that. But I, uh, you know, just, and when I went when I went and read that particular document, it says if I use PayPal, I have to do something else. But I don't understand their verbiage, their jargon at this point. But I'll have to look into it more. I've contacted PayPal, go, uh, what do I do? So... Mm. We have a comment from Jeremy Landry in the chat. He said, Australia has had postal issues in the U.S. for a bit now. A friend of mine in New Zealand said the same thing just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, New Zealand is another one of those countries that has uh, service suspended. I, again, wasn't aware that I hadn't shipped anything to Australia for a while. And uh, yeah, so New Zealand is also, you know, you can't even, I I have it said, you can't even, you can't even uh, have anything shipped in New Zealand or Australia right now. And uh any of the other countries that are on the list right now, but that was a big surprise to me. So ironically, my Australian inspired products can't go to Australia right now unless, uh, <laughs> unless we want to use a different service that's going to be very expensive. I was looking like to send that same package uh, UPS was going to be like, I, I know I real like cheap or ninety dollars. Jason, I know a real hmm. cheap one you could use. Unfortunately, it's not the quickest one, and that's you know put it in a bottle, put a cork in, it, and throw it in the ocean, and it'll wash up eventually. Oh. Uh, yeah, so yeah, maybe maybe in maybe in thirty years you'll get it. I hundred years, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. It, it's it, it's frustrating, but there's not a lot I can do about it right now. I mean, like I said, I I think even like uh, DHL was going to be like ninety dollars, and U.S. Postal Service is right. I mean, that box U.S. Uh, Australia is like a uh, little over yeah. twenty eight dollars just in postage. So if there anything else is going to be even more, and it is, it's some of them are well over a hundred U.S. So. Well, if you can get a refund on the postage, at least, and step one. Yeah, step one, and then we'll we'll figure out. Figure then you just have to send like a parts list and instructions to make his own. Just do that. I mean, I could yeah, I could just send it. Maybe maybe I can send it. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I could just send it in envelopes or I, I like I said, this just happened today. I 
I'm sure there's a solution there somewhere that's not going to cost an arm and a leg, but we'll just have to, I still have to do my homework, but, uh, you know, as of, as of now, as of a few hours ago, no, no, no more orders from Australia or New Zealand or a couple other places right now until, uh, until the United States Postal Service decides they're going to uh, not uh, send the mail back. Jason, as someone said, if you can't get it through Canada, try to get it for Europe. Okay, and that's a yeah we could try that i try i'm gonna to have to look and see if there's maybe like a remailing service i could use or something like that send it to me i'll send it on to nick okay <laughs> okay uh, well i'll pay uh, no i will pay oh, no i never saw it man <laughs> <laughs> no seriously it never arrived seriously, seriously i'll pay the difference okay <laughs> okay Thanks, i'll I mean, i'll, but... I'll, uh, I'll get i'll get a hold of you offline about that get your refund first and uh then we'll worry about the rest yeah i mean absolutely yeah we we'll want to have but... need 30 bucks here for a non-shipped item so yeah yeah we'll make it right we'll get we'll figure it out one way or another we'll 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 get it there somehow uh that's good you brought that up though because i mean for people that do ship internationally that's something yeah. i didn't even know was happening so that's and with this new virus going about now, who knows? Things may get worse again. So yeah, it might be a possible. time to yeah, don't send anything to Australia. Either that don't or packing in Vegemite because that'll kill anything. So <laughs> I couldn't even get out of Chicago. So who knows? Oh, well. All right. If you want a, uh, a little bit more happier news, I got something <laughs> I could update. Sure, that'd be great. <laughs> I uh, actually wrote my first basic program in 30 years and my first basic program on the cocoa for the. Well, so, show. what's it like using a real basic now? Terrible because I do poke seven, 742, comma zero, and I've still got a cursor on the screen. Yeah, we, we don't do that Atari uh, Commodore poke it to get anything useful done, basic. Yeah. But uh, here, let me share my screen, and I'll show you what I actually programmed. Uh, it's a Megabug uh, Infinite Lives program, isn't it? No, no. 10, print hello. 20, <laughs> go to 10. <laughs> Can you uh, see my screen? Uh, no. So far. Uh, let's see here. Share screen. Share. Now, can there you see go. my screen? All green? Uh-huh. Yep. Coco Talk Game On Challenge Live. We'll be playing 3D Space Wars. Yep. Et cetera. Um, basically, I noticed that a lot of people weren't uh, joining until like um, three to five minutes after I'd started because they get the notification and they go and get ready and such and then come on. So I needed a way to let people know that, hey, the, the it's starting. And uh, so I made a... Uh, well, five minute uh, warning. A you countdown. A, a countdown uh, clock. Yes, yeah, a countdown card for the uh, for 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 starting the show. So you'll put and this on the stream five minutes before the stream actually starts, so people have time to get their right. It actually started. Yeah, it actually was first used this past week. Yeah, I didn't catch the beginning of your stream here, so I missed that. Does it sing yep. a song at the end? No, um, since I'm partially deaf and fully tone deaf, I don't do much with music because it's been not allowed by the Geneva Convention for Cruel and Unusual Punishment. 
So, you could hook up a cassette player and hit play and then, you know, motor on and have it play. Yeah, audio on. Except then they never played anything commercially, get yanked <laughs> off YouTube. So Yeah, I don't even have a cassette player. <laughs> what? So, You'd have yeah. to get something from the YouTube audio library then. Ah, but uh, yeah, I uh, I uh, made made this and uh, it is uh, my crowning achievement in programming can, can for hit, the last 30 can years. Can you hit break and show us the code? Uh, actually, this is the screen from this past week's show. Oh, so you're not this is just yeah. recording. Yeah. If you'd like okay. to see the show, I can actually do that. Uh, let's see. This is a recording. It looks like your timer is actually pretty accurate, too, which is cool. Um, yeah, that's rather interesting because um, I did notice that there are differences between XROAR and VCC. Um, I had them both count down, and they were like about a second second and a half off at the beginning and by the time uh it got down to zero they were about 12 to 14 seconds different i did not actually look at a clock to see which one was closer to being correct but they were about 14 14 seconds off from each other and also now, vcc does not blink just out of curiosity are you doing this with hard-coded loops like i know on the coco one that used to be like the basic manual said do a four next loop for t equals one to 460 that would be roughly a second um, but actually, there's also you can use the timer function, which actually links into the VSync, which should be more accurate. You just have yeah, to figure out the, the map. The um, timer is what I actually used. Okay, Here, so the, the, emu the emulators are going that far off. That's that means one of them has a bug, I would say. Yeah. Here, I'll I'll actually uh, load it up, and you can see it. Oh, there's a mega bug. Yeah. Go to RGB file, set, insert disk. Oh, and welcome David Ladd to the panel. I just noticed you snuck in. How long have you been there? Oh, I've been here for a while, sir. Ooh, really? Didn't you see his face Ooh. flash on when uh, somebody mentioned um, floppies? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you go, what? Ooh. <laughs> Yeah, that woke him up. <laughs> I was just going to ask if that's what happened. It summoned him. Yep, that's when things sprung to life. <laughs> yeah, he gets an alert on his phone anytime we mention floppies. Or he yeah, must have so... wrote a basic program <clears throat> so that anytime the word comes on, it wakes him up. This is the main game loop on it which it just goes subs to a bunch of routines for that I actually do things. We're not seeing that screen. Yeah, we're not. I can see uh -huh. that he's sharing it, but it's not sharing across. Do uh -huh. you have to change the scene? No, I Mark? need to change that to that, and then you have to uh, highlight my actual camera. There yeah. Uh, there. There we go. Well, it's backwards to me, but to them. Oh, it wow, it's commented and everything. I never do that in basic programs. But... Yeah. Well, it's to remind me because I mean I haven't programmed in BASIC in since the very early '80s. I went quickly to um, Action and uh, 6502 Assembly. Please don't shoot me. Yeah. Well. No, if you're if you're having to program 6502 Assembly, you're suffering enough already as it is. You don't need anything. <laughs> so. Well, you're starting at the the very basics and. 
6502 and working your way up to basic. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a, the setup. Um, the uh, time interval for the timer. Time does 60 counts yeah, 60 per, ticks second. per second. And uh, I even got auto centering. Look at that. Yeah. And uh, the amount of minutes to, to count down. And it actually starts off at just a little bit slower because um, I when I was debugging, I wanted I didn't want to sit here for five minutes every time. So where does the parentheses start? <laughs> on the left, and they end on the right. And let's see here. Yep, let's. You could do a width 40 to list it. You might be able to fit more of it on the screen, too. Yeah, there's the first half. Let's see if it'll. Yep. Is this what they used to do before GitHub? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I used the attributes to make the changes, and uh, the blank attribute works in XWR, but does not work in uh, VCC. That's definitely a bug then, because that that should be working. Yep. It's based. It's based on the uh, Gimme IRQ timer, so. From what I understand, uh, um, I was discussing it with um, David Ladd, and he said that it's been a long-standing bug in VCC that has still not been fixed. All right, and then this is the meat and potatoes of everything. where it goes through and then while it's running, you can use uh, F, S, and D to uh, make it fast, make it slow, uh, or make it default. So where did you find the code to copy from? I didn't. <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> I, I, I actually do know how to program, just not well. <laughs> I would look in the back of the manual and take a block of it throw it yeah. on there yeah i basically debugged it into existence for those yeah. that are familiar with the term <laughs> yeah yeah i started with a small program to understand how the timer works and the timing of it and things like that and then went from there and you then try uh, to break made, it then made a new program that uh used that as the uh as the as that right as that screen right there and Unfortunately, this is actually my second revision of the program because it, the first revision was all done and nice and neat and worked great. And then I didn't realize it, but by default, um, XWord does not write to the disk. Yes, that is something I actually questioned Karen about. And he said, well, he did that so he wouldn't accidentally overwrite something he didn't want to overwrite. So he made that the default, but that's just totally right. backwards to me. I would have a defaulting writing. I would rather not lose... Yeah, right. So basically what I did was I made the default in the XOR config to be uh, to write back. Yeah. Uh, pin the tongue. 
Yeah, I don't know why he thinks that's actually better to not default to writing it out. That's well, right. for maybe for his most, own personal workflow that works better, but he's, most he's people in a I know different that's country. It's a Linux thing. It's a Linux thing. Oh, yeah. is it? Well, the the default should be to to a safe, not uh, non-destructive safe, which I can understand that. Or even better yet, just bring up a menu. Would you like to really save this, or do you want to just save it to a temporary or something along yeah, the lines? You know what's going on. A, yeah, that would have been a good good choice. But yeah, this is the timing and uh, and uh, how it goes through. Like uh, MIR is minutes remaining, SAR is seconds remaining, and then it goes through the timer, waits another uh, uh, second, then goes through. Now, one one thing I, I I'll point out. I don't know if this is related to why the timing is going so far off between the emulators. It might just be the emulator itself, but it is possible that you might be missing a timer tick every once in a while just from all the basic statements running between the checks. So I was wondering, well, if you run this in double speed, does it does it make them run more equally then? Yeah, I have not tried that. Um, I, I considered that, but I figured all it's doing is going from here down to here before it goes and checks the uh, timer ticks again. And there's no way that that should take a whole anywhere near a second for it to to run yeah it shouldn't but stuff like divide because these are floating point numbers these aren't integers right um, a floating point divide like rmt divided by 60 and then <clears> times <throat> 60 can take a bit of time and maybe it's just happening to catch it yeah every once in a while might catch it halfway through <clears throat> a timer tick and maybe it skips like 1.5 yeah because i also compared timer value at the beginning and end and it was <clears throat> the correct amount at the end. Oh, it is. Okay. Okay. So then never mind what I just said. Yeah. Because I mean, that was one of my, my first, right, my first uh, concerns. I was just going to say, Nixon always say, that. <laughs> yeah. Cause that was one of my first concerns. And I was like, man, eh, no, um, the timer so by, is by next Co Coco Fest, you'll have a real time clock software all made <laughs> up. Eh, it's close enough. I'm not building a Stradivarius here. <laughs> and then once it goes through and does the countdown. Every time, every time I see uh, exclamation marks, it makes me nervous. An exclamation mark? Yeah. Yeah, there's a bug in the Coco 3 Super Extended Basic. Uh, the microword did that if it hits a token, it doesn't recognize. So you had some extended DOS, like ADOS or something that added new keywords to Basic. It'll print an exclamation mark instead of the token and then freeze right. dead. Yes. It reset uh, to get out of it. So it locks up the list. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm only using Deck B. I'm not that advanced. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a bad bug in the, in the Coco 3 ROM, unfortunately. Yeah. But that's the end of the uh, end of it, and then returns back to uh, and just says, "Okay, good job, uh, man." I have but, to say, I think it's kind of cool that both you and Ken actually do your intro screens for your segments using real Cocoa Basic programming. That's that's kind of cool. That's cool. Yeah. Well, I felt that it was it's the show is about the Cocoa, so the Cocoa should be used as much as possible. I mean, obviously, for like some video segments and such, you're not going to be able to use it, but for what you can, you should. Yeah, and well, I guess we have to thank Nick Morota too because he's the one who kind of started that tradition. And uh, Ken, yep. you, I know you've modified yours a bit from yeah. Nick's originals, but yes, because because um, what I want to eventually do is have it do the countdown. And at the end of the countdown, 
it shows me doing the directory of the disk and then loading the game that actually plays. So it's kind of instructions on how to actually load it and get it running too. Then at the same time, right. especially for people that are not familiar with the Cocoa that don't know the difference between a load and a load M, for example. Yeah, because a year ago, well, a little over a year ago, I was truffling through this stuff because I'd never used a Cocoa before, and I didn't know about the load M command or the exec command, or the fact that the machine doesn't boot a disk when you first turn it on. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, me coming from the Apple II Plus at school, when I first got the Coco, same thing. Like you're used to PR number six to manually reboot a disk or just turn it on and automatically tries to boot off the disk. And of course, that doesn't do anything unless you buy a special ROM. Yeah, the Atari also boots straight from the from the disk drive when you first turn it on also. So. And the CC64 will start booting you know, a day or two later when it finally reads the drive because it's slow. <laughs> but yeah, and then uh, three weeks later, it'll be fully loaded. The Atari the and Coco people can get along just fine. We both hate the Commodore 64's drive system. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> oh, the Apple II people also. My first computer was a Commodore, and I hate the Commodore 64. Yeah. But yeah, but my actual first computer was the Commodore Plus 4. So but but yep, that's my uh my uh project, project update. update. That's cool. So so uh, I'm going to ask the the the, uh, the great master of uh, software and programming. Um, so Curtis, how is my code? Oh, I, I was going to pass it on to Nick. I don't touch that disk basic crap. I'm almost nine all the way. So, <laughs> oh, so I have to do it in basic 09 for your. For oh yeah, your, yeah. Uh, then then you'd be getting some critique for you to tear right, it up. Right. It your... also would run much faster. I'll just tell you that too. So, oh, okay. you didn't put your name in there, did you? No. I don't want to be associated with that garbage. Fourteen <laughs> years. Fourteen years from now, when it's uh, Coco Talk number six hundred and forty-two, they're going to run across the program and go, "I don't know who made this." Yeah, uh, it's part of his being open source. I think it's the yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm not I'm about the code. I'm not about the glory. I wow. mean, if I for, for the I do the timestamps for the glory and the women, I do the code because <laughs> it needs to be done. <laughs> and how's that going for you? Well, the timestamp part I'm asking about. Yeah, well, I've got I've got the most beautiful woman on this planet. Mm -hmm. So it why doesn't she come on? Huh? Her name's why Coco. Why doesn't she come on? <laughs> Because she has more sense than to be associated with this uh, crew of. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she didn't say that he's the most gorgeous guy on the planet, guys. No, so I, I guess, guess not. No. <laughs> you know, he's the talking about the cocoa. The doesn't go both ways. So. <laughs> no comment. So, no comment. <laughs> yeah, mo I, 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 I went up when I was in the, uh, in the uh, relationship business. So. Hmm. Anyway, all kidding aside, though, that that's really cool. That you're using the Coco for your segment. Ken's using the Coco for the segment. Yeah. So. And Nick just polishes Ferraris. <laughs> well, one day I hope to have a Ferrari. <laughs> because I I figured Nick got started doing basic, so I'll start doing basic, and then I'll go move on. And. And in forty I'm years, we'll be up to writing Popstar Pilot Part Three or something. Yeah. Uh, no, no, let's 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 not be too optimistic. I was thinking about 80, 90 years. 
Um, I'll be maybe doing something like uh, Gem Hunter. <laughs> Jerry Landry's shopping. comment is, I love the way you indent your nested loops, baby. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be shopping for shoeboxes soon. You're a, you're a fan, Sloopy. Woohoo! Ron's just shaking his head. <laughs> it's a good thing I can do hardware because my software skills are. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, say, I'm, I'm starving. I'm the polar opposite of you because if I try to do hardware, I would just like my house on fire. So. Hey, why Sloopy. do you think I have no hair? Yeah. I Burnt it all when I was a kid. Sloopy, mate. If it works, it works. All right. Yep. It works, yeah. it works. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I, yep. the first one worked, and I was like, "Woohoo, I'm done." And then it, uh, it, it then it went bye bye, and and then this one, it's not as structured as the other one, as you can tell by the uh, line numbers. They're like all over the place. Well, there but, is a renum. There is a renumber. Yeah. <clears throat> there's a renumber yeah. command. Yeah. yeah, but. I'm not used to that because Atari basic doesn't have renumber and neither does machine language. Yeah, well, machine, uh, don't tell me about machine language, mate. <laughs> well, if you were anal like me, you wanted to plop your subroutines on the even thousands or something like that. And yeah, then, that's what I did too. I, well, I did. That's that's what the way they are. They're uh, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000. And um, then renumber comes through and just makes it all... Uh, <laughs> well, that's why you renumber only sections. Like uh, you renumber the three thousand three ninety nine. Because yeah, if you'll notice, when, yeah, if you'll notice when I looked when you looked at my code from zero to nine ninety nine, that is the um, the main um, flow of the program, and then it goes from go subs for each of the individual parts of it, and like three three thousand to three ninety nine is well three nine ninety nine is uh, where it shows the timing countdown and i'll start by putting the framework of i'll put 3000 in with a rem statement that, that that says what that whole subroutine does and then i'll put the 3999 in with the return so that that part is done so that as i'm uh, working on the individual parts i can just hit run and the parts that aren't done they'll just have empty subroutines that'll go and come back and it'll just test the parts that are working. And then basically, that question, you just do run, you just name your procedure, you know, whatever you want to call right. it, like print score, print name, right. and you do run print name, and then that's nice and obvious yeah. in the rims. Yeah, because obviously in um, in uh, ECB, you can just do run and an align, line number. Yeah. Although I do order. use line numbers in basic 09, but it's just to make documentation points, if you will. So... See, I don't. I just put the REMs in straight where they're supposed to go. The only thing I use line numbers for is that you have to is for on error go to. Like if you want to trap an error, that does require a line number. Yeah. Right. Like I say, I use them to get to my to get to my documentation. So it's almost a vestige of the old deck B line number and that, you know. Oh, okay. What I do there is I, I usually know like the documentation will mention this routine does, you know, graphics or something like that. I just do a search graphics and it'll just find that word and there I am. Here's my com my my contribution to uh, programming. I can remember when I was uh, doing line numbers, um, you learn 
that you can put a, a jam a lot into one line because they give you like 256. Because <laughs> 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 uh, without that, you know, and then. Yeah, especially if you had color basic, because uh, you yeah. didn't get renum until extended basic. So if you're yeah. cramming away in a 4K machine here and you <laughs> you keep inserting lines, all of a sudden you got lines one through 10. I got to insert something else here and I have no line numbers left. What do I do? Yeah. And you start, so, you know, rejecting a line with a ton of stuff. What I thought was interesting is the um, the uh, pineapple method of reference. I actually first um, encountered it with uh, DDWRT, the uh, router firmware. Basically, you have a long list of um, um, a long text file. And in D DDWRT, for different models of routers, you have to go to different sections. So what they do is they put a out-of-band uh, word in the beginning of that section like pineapple is not going to come up in a normal conversation about computers so they would put a the word pineapple at the beginning of a section and say just go to this page and search for pineapple or go to this page and search for kiwi or go to this or go to this page and search for whatever it was on that page at that for the section that they wanted you to find um we search for crikey yes absolutely <laughs> And yeah. that's exactly that's how, how I do comments would... in Base Nine, to be honest. Yeah, and that's well, that was crikey. that no. was a rather interesting thing that <laughs> I that I came across, and I think we we banned shipping of crikey well. earlier today. weren't you listening there? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Besides, all really? the terms are in band, not out of band. <laughs> you want out of band uh, words? Yeah, something so. won't normally show up. So actually, just Why a serious question for you, Sloopy. What is uh, you programmed a little bit of basic on the Atari and stuff there? What is your opinion of extended basic on the Kogo comparatively? Um, honestly, the only thing that I don't like about it is I'm used to a full screen editor. Yeah, where you can just happen. like go up and then change a line real easily, and and then hit enter and it re-enters it. Um, other than that, it's it's not too bad. I mean, it's obviously full, more full featured than uh, Atari Basic, but then Atari Basic was also not uh, because of um, uh, mismanagement, miscommunication. Atari Basic itself was not actually the final version, and it's missing a lot of things. And I left um, Atari Basic pretty quickly. I mean, like. The, the basic computer games, I rewrote many of them for the Atari. Um, but by that point, um, you also have to remember is that I had owned a computer for six, eight months before I owned the Atari, which was the Plus Four, and it had the machine language monitor in it. So because the Plus Four had the basic 3.5 in it, which was much more advanced um, than either the Atari Basic or the Basic that was on the PET and the Vic and the, and the 64. I was used to a Basic that was a little bit more feature-rich, like Extended Basic. So I was able to acclimate to it pretty well um, because most of the things that are different are limitations within Atari Basic, so it was more expanded, so to speak. Um, but do you still prefer the like the full screen editor compared to the edit? Yeah, thing? but the 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 full screen the the being able to full screen edit is is the only real thing that I felt was lacking, and other than that, it seems it seems fine. It seems like a, a uh, fully functional and capable uh, basic. 
You talked yeah. about the uh, machine language monitor on the plus four. Yep. Yeah, that's also in the pet. Yeah. It's always oh. been the pet. Right. It just wasn't in the VIC-20 or the 64, but... It wasn't the in the VIC-20 or the 64. It was in the pet. Right. That's Sus what I'm saying. Sus yeah. 1024. Yep. 4096, you know, and it breaks you right into the 6502 debugger. Yeah, it's like call negative one five one on the Apple too. Yeah, yeah, because uh, because that was my the plus four was actually my first computer at home. It was what I was used to, and that the the lack of the machine language debugger in the Atari was a uh, significant um, short sightedness in it in my mind also. So. Now, I will mention on the editors because, I mean, I got used to the Apple II Plus editor, which, you know, did control I, J, K, whatever the key yeah. I am, uh, going across. And then I got used to the uh, edit command, which is kind of like in the PCG was basic and on the was extended basic. And for me, it's 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 kind of like half a dozen to one, six of the other type thing, because there's certain cases where the edit command, I can edit stuff a lot faster. Like in mm -hmm. I can hit 30D and it'll delete 30 characters. I don't have to count them out with a cursor or something like that. Right. So in that case, it's faster. But if you're trying to like you know duplicate part of one line into another, it's much easier to use the screen editor type thing. So yeah, because you know, it, if you it works both like... ways for me. There's sometimes I like one better than the other. I wish something actually had both. Yeah, because like let's say you're doing like in in my uh, program where I've got the three lines. If do debug dollar sign equals uh, quote letter, then that uh, variable equals and then different numbers. With that, you just go over the line, change the uh, line numbers to the line numbers you want, and then go back and change each, like the, the letter between the quotes and the numbers for the variable, and boom, you're done. But with an edit program, can you even do that? I don't think you can, but I may be yeah, wrong. Not, I don't know the edit really know. program really well. So, but, but like, so basic nine, you can use the basic nine editor or. I use Dynastar. Yeah. <laughs> and I use BED. Like you can use a full screen you know, text processor and you everything you can do in a word processor. Uh, yeah. Well, on the Atari, I did more programming in action and, and, uh, and assembly than I did in basic. So, and action is a, a C like C, Pascal, uh, et cetera, like programming language where it has a text uh, editor built into it. And it's it's a very nice language. And for assemblers, I would not recommend the Atari assembler for anything. <laughs> <laughs> it actually uses line numbers. Uh, yes, like basic line numbers. Because the assembler editor cartridge for the Atari was actually the basic cartridge uh, modified to be able to do assembly. Oh, yummy. Yes, so you actually have to oh. use... All we got to do is mangle these lookup tables beyond all recognition, and this is dissimilar. Yep. <laughs> I mean, but the thing is, is that you have to remember back in 1979 when the Atari 800 was released, assemblers were not that feature-rich, and macro assemblers were, were only on oh, minis right, and bigger. Right. So it was, it was a product of the times, so to speak. So it wasn't a completely out of the question release yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the tasks are similar so yeah, yeah. i could see <laughs> yep try programming prologue 
I looked at it. I read the book. I <laughs> and you just sat in the corner. It. I sat in the corner whimpering and crying. Yeah, prologue. <laughs> Predicates for everything. It's wacky. But, yeah, I mean, it's a shame that, that action didn't get to the There we have Richard Harding of the uh, Dragon Users Group at the pub. Oh, oh I, I, I'm not sure you can hear me. Yeah, we can hear you. We can also hear the crowd, of course. But Yeah, it's very noisy. I'm trying to do the camera flip. There we go. Hello, America. So this is... Uh, E old English pub with beer. And it looks and like you might have had pizza at one point, but it looks like you're pretty well, finished. I, ha I, I haven't had mine yet. I was just doing a pre pizza before I got all my greasy fingers into it. But I was just going to say, we've reached the most important point of the meeting the pints. So, everybody. So, I was just probably didn't say hello as promised from the pub. Everybody say goodbye to the Coco crew people. Bye bye, guys. Richard, quick All question right. for you. Do you plan on streaming tomorrow? No, no, there's no, there's no plan to stream tomorrow. Okay. I'm going to try and chill out and actually look at things. Uh, tell them it's Coco Talk, not Coco Crew. <laughs> they're drunk. They don't know what they're saying. <laughs> well, well, there was there was somebody going around talking about Coco's crew stuff, oh, okay. and then I think it just got mixed up because there was right. like two things going on at the same time. All right, have but another yeah, beer. There is rumors of Coco Crew trying to get in on the act. Ah. <laughs> anyway, thanks again for streaming there, Richard. Uh, <laughs> oh, they got another satellite. Battery's drunk. <laughs> well, it, it's nice that they're all having a great time at my birthday party. They're coming back. Yeah, you're breaking up there, Richard, so we'll probably have to drop the call for now. Yes, no problem. Catch you later. Hey, catch you later. The phone's in the beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's nice that someone's having a, a, a good time at my birthday party. I wish I could have gone. Are you trying to say it's your birthday, Sloopy? No, it's not my birthday. It's the thirty-first adversary of my. Uh, it's the twenty-first adversary of my thirtieth birthday. <laughs> It's my body and I cry for one, two. <laughs> but they're drunk enough. They, you can say it and I'll believe it anyway. Yeah. yeah, it was cool. A big thanks to the, once again to the Dragon Meetup people there. To, I mean, this this call did not actually do too much, but the, the earlier tours and stuff was actually awesome and watching the trivia show. So any of those that joined late, we did stream the, uh, the Dragon Meetup live from England earlier before the Coco Talk show officially started. So if you guys have not caught that yet, it should be on the various places like Twitch and YouTube and Facebook as a separate stream that you can watch. And there's uh, some pretty interesting hardware and stuff that was shown, plus some other computers that use 680 or so, sorry, 680X uh, processors that were shown off as well. And I don't know if we have anything else for our show today, do we? 
Anybody nope. else got any other project updates or acquisitions or any general comments? What's for next week? I don't have a clue. Do we have a scheduled speaker next week? Uh, well, it was Brian Weasler, wasn't it? Yeah, but he canceled. So we'll if never, this was next week, again. then it's not happening. We'll never know what, what he has. No, no, he's. We'll hear from him eventually. I think he's he's busy. Uh, you know, he's he's out in the uh, trucking there. He's got a CDL now since he's got that truckload of cocoa stuff, right? Maybe <laughs> he tried to ship something to Australia and it got stuck or something. Ah, crikey! <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and run the outro then. Yeah, yeah actually, the we, we had we had no scheduled guest uh, for next week because of Brian pulling out uh, last week. So yeah. So, next one and, up and is it, David Lent. That'll be on December 11th. What about David Ladd? He needs no introduction. He, he, he can come on and get interviewed anytime. <laughs> uh, this concludes another episode of Cobra Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calore computer, MC10, and Dragon systems. For all things Cocoa Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click on the Patreon link on our website, cocotalk.live. Cocotalk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Alan Murphy, Amigos Retro Gaming, Bill Noble, Brian Joyce, Brian Weaver, Curtis Moore, D. Bruce Moore, Danny O'Connor, David Ladd, Eric Canales, George Jansen, Grant Leedy, James Diffendapper, Jason Reichert, Jim Brain, Ken Reichert, Ken Waters, Mark Bosley, Mark Overholzer, Mikey Furman, Mr. Dave 6309, Nick Morentes, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Paul Fiscarelli, Richard Lorbieski, Rick Adams, Rick Ulin, Rob Inman, Ron Delvaux, Samuel Gimes, Sloopy Malibu, Steve Bjork, Terry Steggy, Tom C., and many, many more. Please help support the Coco community. A list of various contributors and resources are available at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T dot com. The original Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. The new Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2020 by D. Bruce Moore. Both are mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Coco forever! back with the caboose.
And ne next week on Coco Talk, join us for part one of our 3,000-part series by David Ladd and the Floppy Disk. <laughs> uh, not happening. Nope. nope actually, nope, that's nope. a threat. People don't start coming up with content. That's what's going to be down to. Part one, the paper envelope. <laughs> how to write on a label is part two. Or how that's... to make a label stick after 40 years. Part 47, fun with felt tip pens. The right protect label, your friend, your foe. <laughs> yeah, especially when it gets gummed up. And there's a, the there's a special sub-series oh. on the multicolor floppy disk packs. Anyway, oh. once again, a big thank yes. you to the Dragon Meetup people. Um, a big thank you to Ken and Sloopy for the uh, Game On challenge stuff and also the live play stuff. And I'm, I'm glad Sloopy's going to be trying to get some of our European viewers involved here, too, by doing a second stream at some point. Are you planning on starting that fairly soon, Sloopy, or are you going to wait till a certain time when you have um, I want to see what kind Make of uh, response we get to it. I'm going to be posting in the uh, Dragon group to see if people would be interested in it and on the Coco Talk group on, I mean, the Coco uh, group on uh, Facebook to see what okay. kind of response because I'm already sitting there by myself for the first 10 to 20 minutes oh. on the show. I work weird hours, so the European matinee might actually be a better time for me. So. Yeah, you you said that a different time would be better for you. So. Yeah, it just I yeah just yep. But and having uh, this alternate time will also mean Rondeau will no longer have an excuse not to play every game every week. So uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Then we can say, then we can say to Ron, we gotcha, <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> On the so. floppy disks, we're putting it to the real test. The elephant memory test. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. It says never forgets. Well, the label didn't last. It fell off. <laughs> and uh, yes, Parts. as I was asked, yes, today is actually my birthday. Oh, so well, happy oh, birthday. Mine's tomorrow. Happy birthday, then. I, I would have had some party favors. Uh, yours is so tomorrow. How, how old are you, Sleepy? Because I, I, mine, mine's tomorrow. Um, how See, now, the, the, day, the day I had a birthday that was during a show day, I went to King's Dominion. I went to a theme park. I wasn't even here. That's because I'm not that cool. I'm not that special. Yeah. I yeah. mean, well, my life is, is yeah. so bad. I'm here. Hey, hey I broadcast on my birthday. Ah, well. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I uh, just turned 51, Curtis. Uh, 54 for me tomorrow. So. Oh. Youngsters. Youngsters. Right. Hey, hey, hey. Well, happy birthday, Curtis. Yeah. Happy, happy birthday, birthday to you, Curtis. Thank happy you. birthday. In, happy in, uh, birthday. All right. Tune in for part 72 of David Ladd's floppy series for Magnetic Flux. All right. Now, now you can cut the show off. Asparagus. Yeah. Asparagus. Yeah. Asparagus. Yeah. Push the button, Frank. Bye, Bye everybody.